everybody. Welcome to We Talk Games, Volume 2, Episode 4. Wow, we have a loaded show today. I am your host, Wiggly. In the booth, as always, Keith LaPosh. To my right, T.T. Schmootkins. I'm ready, willing, on cables, RJ45, UTP Cat 5, 568A, white green, green white, white orange, blue white, white blue, orange white, white brown, brown white, shrink tubing with a hairdryer. T.T., didn't you hear me say we have a loaded show today? I'll try to stay out of your way. Try to adhere to that a little more closely, huh? Turd, turd. Not to my left, Stinky the Game Master. Stinky will be up a little bit later for the dual topic forum as brought to you by the meeting of the We Talk Games Council for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, also known as WetGAC. FIP, please. Don't worry, they're working on that. We actually have a structure for today's We Talk Games. We have five correspondents in the queue. They are waiting for Keith to open up the line to tell us what they've been playing. We'll be talking a little bit about the Triple E and, oh my goodness gracious, can you believe it? Live from the showroom floor in the Northwest Pinball and Game Room Show, Seattle Center, Seattle, the keeper of the scores, Walter Day. Walter Day will be on today's We Talk Games and the most music-making man in video game history, Tommy Tallarico. Wow. So let's not start. Let's go. Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part Because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot I love you Little too wacky? Yeah, nothing like three hours of somebody yelling in your earballs uh, That will not happen this show There's two models I'd like to live by Don't be a jerk all the time and don't yell all the time Only yell when it's appropriate and wow! This show's so full that it is appropriate Virtual Console. We saw two releases on the Virtual Console this month. Uh, thankfully, I think probably in part due to the E3, or because things are just slowing down. It's hard to tell at this juncture. Super Nintendo, we saw Genghis Khan 2 by Koei. If you like the Koei games, if you like the Super Nintendo Koei war strategy, turn-based hexagonal sort of strategies, and non-hexagonal as well, um, this is right up your alley, probably. Genghis Khan 2, I remember running a lot of this title when it came out. I remember the people that were very, very into war strategies coming in and you know selling us out a few times. But if you don't like those styles of games, I'm not sure if it's going to be your cup of tea. Commodore 64, we saw Boulder Dash. Now, Boulder Dash is actually a game I can recommend because I know what it is. This first came out for the computers and consoles and then went to the arcade second. So it's kind of uh, interesting, one of the first titles to do that. This is an interesting game. It's a precursor to even games like Mr. Driller. It's sort of Mr. Driller-esque. It's sort of Dig Dug. It has Dig Dug things happening. It has Boxy Boy types of things, Boxel, and those types of elements to it. It's very, very interesting. You have to move boulders around. You cause avalanches to happen because you're trying to collect all the diamonds from in between the boulders. You can push some boulders, you can get out of the way of some boulders, you can get trapped in boulders, you don't want that to happen. Um, and it's very, very interesting. And probably the reason it's so difficult to explain is because of the isometric view of this. I shouldn't even say isometric. Each element of this game, the backgrounds, the boulders, the physics of the boulders, the character, they all 
are from a different perspective. It's like a mishmash of perspectives, but it's a lot, a lot of fun. So why don't you check it out? Uh, you, you may enjoy this. But the WeWare is where all your hard-earned dollars are probably going to go this month. We had Swords and Soldiers. Now, here is a game where if Nintendo allowed for demos of their WiiWare titles, of their Wii games, of their virtual console titles, they will probably sell an incalculable more numbers of this product because this is such a neat, neat, real-time strategy, but it's horizontally scrolling. I guess the easiest way for me to describe it and not do it justice at all whatsoever is first of all go and try to search for a video of this game and see if you if you this is interesting to you first of all you could be vikings aztecs or chinese uh and you do real-time strategy war types of games it's sort of like pat upon without the music or sort of like worms except with very hip and incredibly interesting artwork and animation so check out a video of this. I think you will really, really enjoy it. It looks very fun. It's also sort of like Castle Crashers, but it's more linear, and you can also affect the environment with certain characters. So check it out. And this game, I had to get $8, but $8 isn't the limit because right from the get-go, you're already flashed with pay-and-play parts to this game eight dollars final fantasy 4 the after years final fantasy 4 i think is a super nintendo game i'm always so crazy about and talking about and now i get to continue that story in a brand new final fantasy 4 game it is the airships, the Super Nintendo graphics, the Super Nintendo music, the Mode 7. Need I say more? Uh, quick save feature. That's always nice. And then your regular save. But here it is. I've been clamoring for pixels. Move some pixels around. And finally, we, we have it. This was originally released in 2008 as a cell phone download in, in, the, in the Japanese uh, arena. But it looks perfect, and what are you waiting for? In the Xbox Arcade, a lot of Genesis one-offs. So you could buy Comic Zone, Alter Beast, uh, Sonic 3, or Fantasy Star 2 all individually. Or you could get them all in the, the Sonics collection or uh, whatever it was called in the UK market. Um, I spoke about this uh, a while ago, the Mega Drive collection. Or, you know, uh, you can get them all uh, like in that, in that little compilation. You'll probably find that thing for $15, $18 used around the area. So it's kind of weird that they released it uh, individually like this. But I'm sure they have the reasons. Also, the arcade version of Shinobi. And Gunstar Heroes, which is the big, big deal. That came out for the Xbox Arcade and also for on the PS3 in their PS3 store. We also saw Wolfenstein 3D. This is the Pixel... Wolfenstein 3D that you remember from way back in the day when it was first released. And it plays quite well on with the Xbox 360 controller, uh, walking around, opening doors, and fighting Nazis. There is also a Wallace and Gromit 3D Interactovision adventure that came out in the Xbox uh, arcade as well. And you can demo all of those, so check them out yourself and see if it's up your alley. 
Uh, oh, another thing, Cell Factor came out, the Psychokinetic Wars. Check this out, try this out. It's based on the Unreal Engine. It feels a lot like Unreal Tournament, but then you also have the Force Unleashed um, bits in there where you can pick up and suck two objects in a room and hurl those at your opponents as well. So you have that. You have that going on. It might be a lot of fun in the online community. The PS3, we got a Bomberman Ultra. Uh, you can play a demo of that as well, which is which is nice. This is probably the least offensive of the 3D Bomberman games. Uh, eight players online on the PSN, the free PSN network, or seven locally. Plus, there's world tournaments and things like this that you can work your way up towards. Uh, from the maker of Pop, from from Pop Games, Heavy Weapon. We get Heavy Weapon from Pop Games. Pop Games, very famous for Peggle. I must say. I saw Mr. Mutant Larry on live, uh, the Xbox Live, uh, in the Xbox Live system. I saw him on there. He's playing Pagel. I remembered. I downloaded Pagel last month to give it a go, give it a try, the demo. I played it. Chiz was sitting on the couch next to me. I had to buy it right away. I still had some, thankfully, I had some Xbox Live points uh, on there. Got the Pagel. She loved it. She She's played through, I guess, I don't know, five or six levels already. She really, really enjoys it. I enjoy it. Boy, that is a fun, fun title. So here we go. We have Heavy Weapon. That's what the PS3 gets from Pop Games, the makers of Peggle. Heavy Weapon, you've played this before many, many times uh, under several different names. I don't know, Sub Hunt, Parachute, that style of game. You are a tank on the bottom of the screen. You're scrolling continually to the right, and different planes are flying overhead that you try to shoot with your turret. And don't hit your supply ship that gives you power-ups. The graphics are pretty nice. Pretty nice. I mean, they're not the 8-bit pixely. It's full screen, full full uh, HD. You know, fills the 16 by 9 format. I don't know if it's in true HD or not. Who knows? I don't care about that type of thing. I really just, you know, I'm more concerned with it. Is it filling my TV screen? Then I like it. Uh, and, or not like it. So you can give this game a try. See if it's for you. The bosses are really neat. The power-ups are neat. The parallax, especially in the second level. At least go to the second level to, to check this out. But but you have played this game before many, many times. And yet it's still a little bit addictive. But don't expect something of the cleverness and addictiveness of of the Pagel series. Also, Big Surf Island, finally, the add-on content for Burnout Paradise came out. $13 to revisit that franchise, and I'm sure you're going to uh, really, really enjoy all the neat little things. I heard heard that they concentrated on catching air with this whole new island that you get to explore with your Burnout Paradise. More on that next month, maybe. Also from the PlayStation Store, we have the downloadable version of the PS1 classic Final Fantasy VII. So you had Final Fantasy release on the Wii, uh, and the WiiWare, and the Final Fantasy release here, PS1, the classic, arguably, to most people, greatest game of all time, as voted by the fans. Uh, I don't really talk about Final Fantasy VII too much, but I want to just reminisce a little bit. I don't want to get too much off topic. I want to talk about a movie feel of a game. Uh, first thing that comes to my mind, and I don't want to get too sidetracked too much because we have such a loaded show here. Of course, the 
as a big PC Engine nut, as a Turbo Graphics nut, first thing that comes to my mind when I think about movie feel is 1992 Snatcher. Now, you may have played Snatcher perhaps on the Sega CD. And you're probably aware that the Sega CD had a lot of the violence and nudity and stuff like that edited out. In the UK release, it also had uh, most mostly the violence edited out, not not so much the the um, shower scene or the age of the players and things like this. But it was a cyberpunk adventure. It was really, really cool. And, of course, I'm talking about the PC Engine 1992 CD Romantic version, uh, which was based on an earlier version of this game. The earlier version was released on floppy disk for, I guess, the NEC computer line. And an interesting thing about that was... The soundtrack, of course, you didn't have CD-ROM sound, you didn't have the voice actors, you didn't have the music and all this to go along with it, So, because it was on floppy. You had a cassette tape that came along with it, and you were to play this, this theme music in the background off your cassette player as you played the bleeps and bloops on your floppy drives. But predating that, going back, that's just the first thing that pops in my mind. When you predate, when you take it all the way back, I guess the first things that we had were arcade uh, Dragon's Lair. I guess that was around 1983. I mean, you're actually playing a cartoon, actually playing an animation. Even uh, later, Sega, oh my gosh, am I going to mention it? Sega's Time Traveler was a live-action movie. Well, it was holograms, uh, actors, hologram graphics. That was like in 91. And in between those, I think, for the Japanese market, I only know from playing on Daphne, I remember Sega's full-motion driving game. That was GP World, I believe. And then into the home markets, let's see, we had all, well, the FM Towns, of course, was in Japan. You had the FM Towns, FM Towns, Marty. They had a slew of the hentai role-playing games with the CD-ROM sound, the voice acting, and things like that. So that was very movie-like. And then even on the PC Engine, the Turbo Graphics, the Sega CD, we had a ton of role-playing games, many of the working design releases um, that came out of full-motion Games like uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective and J.B. Harold's Murder Club and games like, and even, oh, when Turbo released, the, it came from the desert. I was so sad. When I saw the screenshots of this in the in the magazines, it was all the, the pixel, um, neat, hand-drawn graphics. Uh, and I thought, this looks great. Giant ants, it's space like on them and stuff. And then when they released it for the Turbo, they reshot it in full motion video. And everyone looks like jaggy-edged mud. It was horrible. But even like in all the digital picture titles. So you had all those DP games. Um, Scotty Pippen, Slam City, and things like that. And th- those were like, you know, movies, like television shows and things like this. And even the PS1 had movie-like feeling games, like one of my favorite all-time role-playing games, Ark the Lad, came out, I believe, that was around 95, about two years before Final Fantasy and 7, and I loved that title, played through the Japanese version, I guess it wasn't released until later uh, in the States, but then, you know, those all had real big epic scores and we, we we saw things there's hundreds and hundreds of games that had a movie feel i'm sure even since like the first games came out people had in their mind oh i'd love to do some type of thing that's uh movie like and that's why you had your text-based adventures oh it's more like a book or a novel or something like this but you know it all it always to, to try to make that feeling happen 
But I think when I put in Final Fantasy VII, I had a Japanese version, and this was a three-disc set. I first played the demo on Ball Number 1, which I had imported, and I loved the demo. It was great. It was, you know, a role-playing game. I was, like, doing things. Things were flying around, like, I think a big giant dragon sort of thing, and and uh, magic was happening, and all these polygons and stuff. I was like, wow, this is really neat. But it just felt like a role-playing game. But when I stuck in that first disc, right away... You feel, and the only word that comes to my mind is cine. And I don't know why I think cine and not cinema, but that was the true cinematic happening going on with Final Fantasy VII. And I only think I, I don't think I even, even made it to the third disc, but just the whole feel of that game, the way it was tied together, the rendered bra- backgrounds, the, um, you know, your little polygon guys, you had to deal with that, the power of the PS1, but the way that the whole game tied together and the feeling of it was the first real cinematic feeling I got, and that's why it was so inspirational, and people still talk about it today. And this was one of the first games as well that Chiz actually beat. So that's amazing. And probably the only game she's ever beaten. So that's uh, that's amazing in itself. And, you know, it has an appeal to just about everybody for different reasons. And that's that. Tommy Tallarico up later. Let's open the phone lines, Keith. Let's get uh, Kyle Von Kubik on there. Satellite of integrity hovering 500 miles above New York City. Go! Wiggly, what's going on? Yo, man. Kyle. Are you aware that Sega does what Nintendo don't? <laughs> I am not aware of that. No, I was just going to say, as promised in uh, the last episode of We Talk Games, my segment will be nothing but addendum. <laughs> no, I realize the show is stacked. I do have a brief addendum. Okay. Uh, it was a, a, a failure, a miscommunication on my part. Yeah. Um, in Punch-Out, Little Max Trainer is Doc Lewis, not Doc ha- Holiday, as I said. Oh, Doc yeah. Holiday was an American dentist, gambler, and gunfighter from the old American West. He's so mean, he, he once usually- shot a man for just for snoring. And he was most remembered for being friends with uh, Wyatt Earp and the gunfight at OK Corral. That's what I remember him from. But despite all those great things on his resume, he was not a boxing trainer. I apologize. I see. And, well, that's okay. Let's let's get it all out in the open. I, I had addendum on my face as well. Uh, Wolverine's costumes. You can be the old yellow and blue. You could be the, the brown and orange. Brown and, and black. And I guess yeah. you could be the, the gray one as well when he was in X-Force. Whoever gets that magazine, I don't know about that. But uh, only one. I, I don't. Then there was one secret one I don't know. But I wish that they had the Shire suit. Now, I don't know if they have that in there. But once again, once you hit the cut scenes, then when yeah. you hit the cut scenes, all of a sudden you're back in a wife beater. So it's kind of kind of snaps you Bonky. back to reality. Yeah, Yeah. cool. And now you also asked about two um, extraordinary games, Carmageddon and Skitchen. Yeah. And when they were going to be available for the uh, Nintendo DS. Well, I have great news. Okay. Um, they're coming out three weeks from never. Moving on. <laughs> Oh, uh, what, a, what a horrible end of two brilliant franchises. Yeah, actually, Carmageddon got a sequel, I'm afraid. Oh, Carmageddon um, 2, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and you know what? Uh, I, I even saw Carmageddon out there for the uh, Intel Max. Really? Yeah. And and speaking of uh, Nintendo doing things, uh, yes. I was just watching a whole lot of uh, propaganda on my uh, Magic LaserDisc uh, kiosk machine that I explained last episode. And mm-hmm. uh, evidently, if you ask any eight-year-old kid, they will tell you that Nintendo has the best games. Uh, obviously. There you go. You can do that today. You don't even need a laser disc for that. Right. When's the last time you played a good Sonic game? What was the last Sonic game that you played that you'd actually consider good? Uh, Sonic and the Lederhosen. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Mine would probably be Sonic 2. 
You oh, know, okay. To be honest. I liked Sonic and Knuckles. You liked Knuckles a little bit? Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, it was, you could, it was okay. you could piggyback, and I liked the novelty of that. Now, I never played through any of the games, uh, <laughs> any of them, any, any, ever. So, uh, And I also really liked the screenshots for the Dreamcast Sonic Adventure. So I really yes. enjoyed that. I remember playing um, the Dreamcast kiosk, and that was the game that was in it. And I, it blew my mind, like, just seeing how fast it felt to play that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in retrospective, I realize it's not that great of a game, but yeah. it's an okay game. But the last great Sonic game would be on the uh, Sega, Genesis, 2D, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Right. Way to go. Now, Sega can take um, a lesson from Namco. Namco brought back Kelowna. Okay. Uh, for the Wii. Hold on. Can I get a Go ahead. I gotta say, now this is just a remake of uh, the 1997 PlayStation game yep, of yep. the same title. The old and, dog, uh, dog hand ears. Yes. And this is how you do a remake. This is how you breathe life into an old franchise. Okay. Um, you can get it on the Wiggly's Mini Mall for twenty seven ninety nine new mm-hmm. and around the same price used, so you're not breaking a deal with the used games. Not it's too new. Yeah. This game is two and a half D, three D, you know, it's the, the uh fake three D where it is polygons, but they're kind of on the fixed track of foreground and background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's absolutely beautiful. And when this game originally was developed, um, Namco had in their head to not do anything that the Mario or Sonic counterparts were doing at the time. So they really took um, an innovative approach on trying to make something that's relatively minimalistic into a great game. And it was back then, and it is now. There's great uh, level design. The controls work well. You have three different modes that you can play, and you can play with the Wii Remote NES style. You can play with the classic controller or the GameCube controller. I would recommend the Wii Remote. Okay. Sideways? Um, It's... Yeah, the sideways remote, yes. Each boss battle in this game... If you've never played the game before... And you're into action-adventure platformers, like you said you were. I believe it was last week's All Games, but maybe one prior to that, you were talking about how you love platforming games. Yeah. You're not going to find a better one right now on the Wii, and I think this one would be a great addition to any game library, with the exception of it's only five hours long. It's a relatively short game. Okay. Just below $30. The price point's there. It's, it's good. Um, if you did play the original, you'll remember the... Um, gibberish dialogue between the characters that's been replaced with uh voice acting which is awful okay and i would suggest just putting the, you can put the gibberish back on oh nice so that's, yeah so that's cool just to get the uh original feel of the game and i'm not going to spoil anything with the story because if you're into platformers and you haven't played this one you're definitely going to want to pick this one up it's got a great story despite the characters being very cutesy and cuddly uh, there's some adult themes and some dark undertones. It's an enjoyable, uh, it's an enjoyable little game. Yeah. There's also some great unlockables. There's um, there's some cool unlockables like a time attack mode. The original and to- yellow and blue Wolverine outfit. Yeah, that's not in this oh, one, but right. that is in the Wolverine game. Oh, correct. Okay, gotcha. By the way, I beat uh, that game. So yes. <laughs> I beat that there's and the- took it you know, back already. You? Yep. Yeah, you're done with it. Yeah. I told you. I warned you. No, it was good. I just Off-air. I was lousy. I'll talk about it later. Okay. So, yeah, there was a couple of the cool unlockables, 
are the uh, time attack mode where you can post your best times online and the reverse mode which is your uh, mirror mode and you know what I'm talking about where you play the game again but everything's upside down and backwards and goofy. Mm -hmm. There's also stupid unlockables. Um, These stupid unlockables include a cinematic viewer and costume variants. (laughs) So whatever. If that's your thing you're into that. So it's kind of like getting stickers in a DS game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you do with uh, I don't know. I, I just think this, this was done very well. And um, if you're a little, little leery on it because of the five-hour mark, definitely rent it. Mm-hmm. But um, if platform is your thing, you're definitely going to go back and play the reverse mode again. And at twenty-seven ninety-nine on the Wiggly Mini Mall, you can't go wrong. Hey, that place is just like a flea market. Right. But Without the fleas. Exactly. I you ruined know it. it for you. So, hey, and, uh, and, wait, I got an addendum for you. What's up? You said, who plays the PSP? Evidently, 50 million people play it. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? 15 million people? That's what I got. That's what well, I hear. We'll see. People are talking. All right. What else you got for well, us, man? Well, I ju- real quick, and this is just a great little sidebar. Okay, the Kalanoa game made me think about other IPs that were in this, like, 2.5D realm back in the PlayStation day and maybe on the Sega. And there's two IPs that I would love to see get the same treatment as this. Crash Bandicoot. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Popeye. Uh, Popeye I might like, actually. That'd be awesome. Like that would be pretty cool. The original game for the uh, Nintendo would be nice. Uh, but no. Uh, it's Tomba. Do you remember Tomba? So, yeah, sure. Bonk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bonk's cousin? No, yeah. I don't know. He was a caveman, he, too. And, he was a caveman. And Rocket Knight Adventures. Those are two oh, IPs yeah. I'd like to see brought back in a uh, strong way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, not, not feeling it? Okay, no, no. We'll I, I loved Rocket Knight Adventures. Yeah. Yeah, I really, no, really like that. It. And you know what those games have in common? I was just imagining in my head like how great that would be. I was playing it, that's why I got distracted. Oh, I so see. what do they have in common? You are fighting against um fascist pig regimes yeah. in both games, which is pretty cool. Moving on. Uh what else we got? A big surprise, actually. Uh, a big surprise on the DS Moon. Of course on about the DS. Keith Moon, you're a drummer and you you drive Only a car nothing into like a swimming pool. Whatsoever. Oh, no. I see. <laughs> um, Moon, you can pick up for nineteen ninety nine new or twelve ninety four used. Wow, that's like right? flea market prices. Yeah, at the Wiggly Mini Mall, and I'm going to tell you why you should pick it up. Okay, uh, you tell this, me. This is by far the best FPS first person shooter I've ever played on the <laughs> DS. Now that's not saying much. Okay, <laughs> right. But well, you, I mean the 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 uh, the, the uh, yeah nothing. Go ahead. Metroid Prime Hunters is yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah, not so good. No, it wasn't so good. But if it's y- okay you, if you're like looking at mud and jumping yeah, into things you don't want to jump into. Yeah, graphically, this game is a little bit better, but kind of similar to uh, Metroid Prime Hunters. Okay. It runs really smooth. It's definitely running 60 frames per second. Oh. Um, it's straight-up action. There's a little bit of puzzle in there, but not much. And um, just like Metroid Prime Hunters, you're going to have to use the stylus to look and aim, and you're going to use the uh, shoulder button to fire. But I'm telling you, especially at under $20, this is a great game to pick up if you like first-person shooters. The story reminds me of, um, maybe you were aware, that we talked about uh, graphical adventure games, point-and-click games, mm-hmm. a while ago. Yeah. Uh, LucasArts put out uh, this game called The Dig, 
back in 1995. It was about these astronauts landing on a planet and yeah, finding an alien remember. race and stuff. The story's very similar to that, but this is a first-person shooter. I mean, I guess many first-person shooters are like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doom was kind of like that. And right. So it, the, the storyline is, eh, who cares? But it, it's a lot of fun to play, nice level design, great boss battles, a variety of weapons. I believe there's seven in total. The only thing I really didn't like was there's a, a little robotic drone you have to control mm-hmm. that's kind of like... um. It's akin to, like, the RC missions of the old Grand Theft Auto games. But if you can get around that, I think this is a great game to pick up, and I think you might be surprised. Another it's surprise... It's a robot. It's, uh, it's a little robot. It's kind of like a little car, I guess. If I was a robot, I'd find it attractive. I see. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, another surprise for interested. me... Who would be interested? What's I might be interested. Okay. Oh, you might be interested. We can we work oh, this out. We'll, I can't Wiggly will that work this fast. Maybe that's a new segment we should get into. Yeah. Um, dating with TT. Yeah. Should I move on? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Another yeah. surprise for me was very good. Space Ace. Yeah. The iPhone and iPod Touch. Now, Space Ace, Space Ace. Space Ace was one of the first games I purchased for my Macintosh, and let me tell you, it was horrible on the on the old Mac back on floppy disk because you're do, trying to do laser disk game yeah, on that's floppies. Yeah, that was that was destined to fail. Now this is uh, this I'm ready. Is a, it shows you the beginning there. You you jump in a spaceship. It's ready to flash left or right. Then you got to put in the next floppy disk, and then quick hit left or right on the keyboard. Yeah. No, this port is of the full motion video Laserdisc game that you found in the arcade. This game was put out by Don Bluth Studios, so if you're not familiar with really? it, Don Bluth put out um, some great animation movies back in the early 90s, late 80s, and this game holds up today because it was a Laserdisc game, yeah. so it still looks beautiful. Um, it, wow. I believe it's it's over 20 years old at this point. I think it came out in the 90, uh, rather uh, 83, 82. Um, just like the arcade game, there's three modes of difficulty. And believe it or not, I think that the iPhone or iPod Touch might be the best format for this game hmm. that I've ever played. I've played it, um, I've played it in the arcade, uh, but I've enjoyed, I enjoyed this much more. Because well, how do you go like left, right, and, and fire? That's what I was going to get to. The oh. controls are ghosted onto the screen, so you can vaguely see an action button and a D-pad. Now... It's a little counterintuitive because they put the D-pad on the right and the action button on the left. Okay. And I don't remember if that's the way it was in the arcade with the joystick and then the action button was on the left. Very may- Maybe it was. Very, yeah, very well may have been. Um, but nevertheless, what's nice about this game is in the day uh, of Tap Tap Revolution being considered a game, uh, these... <laughs> sorry. I like uh, Tap Tap Revolution. It's hard. It gave me yeah, the carpal tunnel. You just push things. That's great. Um, the controls will actually uh, light up to show you. You know, when you played, uh, uh, if you're not aware or if you have played it, Space Ace, what it would do is it would show you this full motion video and then an object would flash. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to hit the joystick in the direction of that flashing object. But that didn't necessarily mean it was the right time to hit the joystick or the action button. Right. It just meant that that's where you needed to be or go or attack. With this game it um flashes on the control pad when you're supposed to hit up down left right and action so 
it kind of makes the game a little easier to play and it makes it a little more fun, but it's still very challenging. The score, which I liked, is now displayed on the screen, where I remember back in the arcade, it used to be after you either succeeded or died, it would show you the score, because it was kind of, they were kind of working with the technology there, trying to figure out how to make this Laserdisc game be a game and not just a cartoon you were watching. But now the score is displayed at the top of the screen. It's a great port. It's a lot of fun. I think it works well on the iPhone or iPod Touch. It's only $5. It's $4.99. And uh, it still has those awkward beats between the video tracks. I don't know if you remember, but when you sure. screwed up, there'd be like a, you know, 10 seconds of black, and then it would go to the next video. <laughs> it still does that for some reason, which is, I don't know, it was kind of nostalgic for me. Hey, as soon as they bring out a Cliffhanger, I'm there. Like well, that. I um, I believe it's called um, Digital Leisure is the company that put out um, Space Ace for okay. the iPhone and iPod Touch. And the next game they're working on is Mad Dog McGee. Oh, Mad Dog McGee, yeah. yeah. Big big pass on that. Yeah. Let's hope for Night Trap. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Mad Dog goes, wow, that is just, a, that's horrible because you're going to be tapping people uh, for them to die. But I'll tell you what, for the CDI, one of the best games on the CDI, Mad Dog McCree. Yeah, that's not saying much for the CDI. No, it's not. It was poo. So, but I figured, you know, this is an interesting title. People who might be uh, unaware uh, of full motion video games like, say, your 13-year-old brother. <laughs> and uh, it's a great way to introduce it to them. And it's much more easier than it was when you were in your teens or, you know, you were th- 10 trying to play this game. Yeah, and just dumping up dumping money into them just to see the animations half a dollar yeah beautiful game though beautiful what else we got well last month on uh we talk games i talked about um joining club nintendo and i sent away for the uh game and watch collection for the ds it only costs a hundred uh of your club nintendo coins all right and i got it within about a week so that was pretty quick. Wow. I, I, I thought it'd be longer than that. Yeah. I think it might have been even less than a week. Wow. Have you Kyle, sent it away for any Kyle, of that? Or? I can't remember. Did you say that robot was cute? Um, I did say that robot was cute, yes. But I think a classy lady like yourself could do better. As long as it has a CDC. <laughs> okay, TT, enough of that. I think she means it in a you know risque sort of way. Yeah, I think so. <sighs> What is it with robots today? TT is very disruptive. This is this is awful. The most disruptive robot I've ever uh, got a big show, and TT's over here farting around. Right. Things in the future happen. So yes. so so you got this in a week, and then what happens? So I played, and um, I wasn't. You know, first of all, it's free. Yeah. You're getting it because you're a part of this game, uh, uh, this gaming club, essentially. Yeah. So there was only three games in it. I read a little bit about it prior. Um, you you get Greenhouse. Yep. Uh, you get Donkey Kong. Yep. And you get Oil Panic. Yep. All great multi-screen game and watch games. I particularly like, said, like the I would oil love panic. to see something like Zelda come out for it, but unfortunately, it's not on this collection. Oh. Um, they play just like the game and watch. Actually, I shouldn't say that. They play a lot better than the original game and watch games. They're crisp. They're clear. They're lit. You play it anytime you want. It's just a nice little thing to have. Do not, I repeat, do not go on eBay and buy these things. Join Club Nintendo. It's real easy. Get your coins. Get this if you want. If not, there's plenty of other items on there that are pretty interesting. I was disappointed to look into the sequel to this, uh, Game & Watch Collection 2 for the DS, because there's essentially only two games, um, Octopus and Parachute, 
And then the third game is a variant mix between the two. So the top is the parachute game, and the bottom is the octopus game. So you, the guys come down, and then you go down to the octopus screen sure. and start collecting the treasure. If you've played Game & Watch, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't played Game & Watch, I would suggest getting the Game Boy Advance Game & Watch Gallery Collection before I would suggest going out and buying either of these things if you don't have enough Club Nintendo points. You get a lot more games, and uh, I don't know. I just don't think the sequel to this game, if it comes out here would be worth buying but this one or not buying but uh, you know sending away for mm-hmm. but this one I, I'm, I'm happy with it's fun and it you know it's repetitive but you try to beat your own score each time so it's cool yeah well i know that they showed octopus in game and watch gallery 4 as well but that's uh, just a single screen game boy advance uh, version uh what happens like on that top screen do we know Okay, so what they did was they took two single-screen ones, uh-huh. and they mashed them together. So oh. at the top screen, you're playing the, the parachute game, okay. and on the bottom screen, you're playing Octopus, and you're doing it simultaneously. Okay. So it's like a new game, but it's it's kind of, again, cheated, because it's just the two games put together, because originally they were single-screen games. It's a mashup, and that's discouraged. Moving on... Uh, I like to go into the Xbox community games every now and again and try to get rid of these spare uh, points that I have left over. Sure. And um, there's just heaps of turds to dig through. But when you find a diamond, you really find a diamond. Like last time or the uh, time before that, I talked about Johnny Platformer's Biscuit Romp. Great little game. 200 points. You can't go wrong. You'll have a lot of fun. Well, I found another game for 200 points. It's called Machiavelli's Ascent. Now, I'm going to try to describe this game, so stay with me. Okay. You're a jellyfish, and it's a vertical platformer where you control your jellyfish by hitting the uh, right and left bumpers, and you're trying to move him up as high as you can go. How high can you get, as they said in the Donkey Kong arcade game? You're trying to get as high as you possibly can by hitting into bubbles and speed tracks. And as you do this, you accumulate a score. And the whole goal of the game is just to see how high you can possibly get. As far as I know, there is no end to this game. It is a um, self-motivating game where you're just trying to beat your last score. It does suffer from some issues like you can't post your score on a leaderboard, and you know there's no um, two-player option or play-online option. It's very basic. It's almost as if it's half a game, more a toy, something that you'd unlock in like a WarioWare. Uh-huh, but for uh-huh. 200 points, I think it will keep you occupied for a while. I think you'll have a lot of fun. Maybe not to the extent of a Johnny platform, but definitely something to check into and look into. And if it sounds interesting to you and you got 200 points laying around, I would definitely try it. And what a better way to, to represent the Machiavellian form than with a jellyfish. Jellyfish, exactly. It's <laughs> the first thing I think of. All right, well, that's man. it. That's that all it? I have. All right. Well, uh, hey, uh, hang on the line. Uh, don't say anything. Hang on okay. the line for the rest of the show, and then we'll bring you back in on the forum section. Okay, Thanks, very good. Kyle. Yo, Joe! Yo, Joe! Kyle Von Kubik from Heroes of Gravitron, Passion of the Hot Sauce, Dry Macaroni. Check out Kyle and his buddies, won't you? You know, we have a lot of new correspondence on today's show. We're going to get those in a minute. Keith, Keith, um, roll that roll that uh, clip, uh, that little teaser clip of me uh, interviewing Tommy Tallarico. Go ahead, roll that. Hello, Tommy? Uh, yeah? 
Hey, hey, Tommy, I play guitar, too. Uh, you're a tool. You miserable jerk. Keith, I told you to delete that. It took me 40 frickin' minutes to get Tommy back on the line after that incident. I told you to... Can't you just press delete, Keith? What, are you leaving now? You're leaving? You embarrass me. You embarrass me, and you're leaving. Don't come. Don't leave. Don't leave, Keith. Please come back. Please come back. All right, I'll do it myself. But please come back, though, Keith. I'm sorry. That's all right that you played that. Just embarrass me. Embarrass my, my parents. Me open the line for uh, Ralph. Let's get Ralph on here. Roosevelt, New York, go! <laughs> hey, Wiggly, what's up? Ralph, Ralph on the line. First time caller. Uh, long time listener. Oh, fantastic. Now, what? Uh, always good to hear that uh, somebody's listening because, you know, you never know. What's that now? Uh, the odd couple? What was that? Uh, no, no, um, my phone. I have this weird ring. I'm sorry about that. Hopefully. That's okay. That you need to get that out. or something? I'll, I'll wait here. I'll talk no, about it. No, 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 no. Definitely. I can, I can definitely go. That phone call can wait. This is way more important. All right, man. So what have you been playing? What, what, what's your favorite type of system? What do you play the most there, Ralph, first of all? Um, my favorite system is um, the 360. Okay. Um, because I play it the most, it seems like it's the most uh, complete system. Um, I'm a pretty anti-Wii guy, okay. so that might turn some people off. And uh, the, I feel like I got fooled by the PS3 when I bought it okay. because uh, there's nothing. Every six months they come out with this great game, and then I have to wait six months again. So uh, the 360 pretty much comes out with an array of games that uh, I like playing. So that's my my favorite uh, my favorite system. Fair enough. Hold on. Go ahead. Um, lately, I've been playing um, a whole host of games. Uh, I'll start with one, which is uh, Ninja Blade, which is from From Software. It's a uh, basically a ninja guiding clone to the T to uh, the boss battles that you uh, fight. It's an action, I guess, adventure. I guess the only adventure would be when you take it back to the store. That would be the only adventure that I would I would have with this game. The story, the premise of it is basically like all games there's something wrong in africa and whatever happened in africa it's come over to the to the mainland or, or japan which is where the story is based okay. and there are monsters everywhere and you're this ninja guy and you have to kill all these monsters now when you say uh, it's like ninja gaiden are you do you mean like a side-scrolling action platform or no no it's like the newer ones okay. that they came out with uh the ninja gaiden for the xbox and ninja gaiden sigma that they came out for the ps3 and the ditto on the on the part twos of uh, of each system it's basically the same game they have this new thing which is these quick time events which is basically just video that they show over uh they, they show your screen they show a video of, of the ninja doing something and you have to press a button you know before something happens uh, okay 
but uh, the way I know it's a video is because there's no wrong outcome if you do something wrong. If you do something wrong, it just rewinds the tape uh, and tells you to retry. Wow, not even like a, a skeleton version of yourself falling down into the in this. No, okay, none of that. It's just rewind, basically, like you were recording on Betamax. You just rewind it and start over again. Gotcha. Um, the character, the main character, is pretty forgettable. He's not, he's just like any other character that that you play in any any game. Um, I will say some high notes to the game is that uh, you can customize your character fully as far as his uh, his color, not of his race, but of his suits. Okay. And I had him running around like he was a uh, like maybe like a Ronald McDonald guy. It was just all orange and red. I mean, yellow and red. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, there's uh, nine levels to it. You can run through the levels pretty quickly. It's probably a three-hour game. It is fun for the most part. Your friends would get mad if you kind of push this off on them. <laughs> also, Ninja Blade, none of the uh, enemies ever change at all. Okay. You basically fight the same five guys through the whole game. They, they said, okay, we got the first level done. Copy, 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 copy. And uh, keep on going. Uh, another thing is that um, they do have these massive boss fights. I will say that. They're very big in scale. When you first start to play them, you always you, you, you kind of wonder, like, how do I beat this? Even though you know, I guess I'm going to have to strike it with my sword. The massive boss fights are, are pretty overwhelming sometimes. And you can, uh, that would be uh, something that I would think um, people would want to see. But uh, you can YouTube that. Right. <laughs> You're, you're you're a six month guy too. I barely yeah, know I'm, you, but you're you're like me. You know, I there's no there's no difference to me if it's the first day that it came out, sleeping out overnight, or if I get it six months later. I mean, mm -hmm. it's still the same game. Definitely, it's definitely. Good. The only game that I've ever stood in, there are two games that I stood in line. I will confess, the two games that I stood in line to 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 get. The first one was Halo Three, and that was the first game I ever stood in line, okay. like midnight launch to go get. That was an event, you know. That was yeah, something yeah. that a whole bunch of people got together to do, you yeah, know. Sure. And and it didn't seem like I'm just like four or five people standing out of the outside. It, there were literally a hundred people in line with me, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the uh, the nerd power was strong with Halo Three. <laughs> the se the second game was uh, Gears of War Two, and uh, the reason I stood in line for Gears of War Two was because. Everybody that I knew in my social circle, and that shows you what kind of a lady killer I am, was standing in line for this game. Sure. That's all they were talking about. We could talk about sports, but somehow Gears 2 was coming up. And um, I don't know if um, we might get to this too, um, in this segment or maybe in a, a later episode, but my disappointment in Gears 2 was so profound. It was uh -huh. almost like finding out your child was an alien. I see. Well, yeah. well, I wanted to find out. I wanted to find out what was the payoff for these. How did how did they both turn out? So, how about Halo Three? That was okay. You got to yeah. Halo Three. And... Halo Three was very good. I mean, if if nobody, uh, if people don't know right now, uh, Halo Three, very good game. They implemented a lot of good things that kept you playing the game, kept you into it. They are very good at knowing what their strengths are and pushing those to the max. Yeah, they know. 
They know what they're good at. That whole 15 seconds of fun, they know that's all they got. And they, they push it and they push it and they push it. They always have good maps. They always have good multiplayer games. Yeah. Since um, I think earlier you were asking me about RPGs, I have uh, Star Ocean The Last Hope by uh, Square Enix. Yeah. Now, now this was a very, um, well, in my sense, it was a very uh, greatly anticipated game. I call it a mayhem RPG. If I can explain it, you really won't know what's going on until about five hours into the game <laughs> with anything. With anything that they say, anything that they do, anything in the gameplay, you won't have any clue for the first five hours. The story is us as humans, uh, we have destroyed the Earth. And now we have to send people out to find a planet enough for us to destroy again, I guess. <laughs> uh, so uh, you uh, play as, um, oh my god, I forgot Keith, he keeps hissing out. Now he's off. Now I got to get him back on the line here. All right. Uh, now, now, uh, Ralph, is it like anime style, uh, like the original yes. for the Super Famicom? Uh, I guess you would say, yeah. It's a, it's got a lot of anime elements. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of anime elements. The localization isn't as great. You know, it still has that whole weird uh, J-pop thing going on sure. with it with some of the characters. I will say the full motion video. Is really good, but the uh, in-game video is horrible, okay. horrible, horrible. It looks like it was developed on the Sega Saturn and then ported to the 360. I see. So, yeah, the the people hardly move their heads, and when they do, it's just like a slight motion just to show that their hair moves. There's one character I'll say is pretty animated, and she's just a person that's uh like at the headquarters and that you talk to periodically, but um. Everybody else and and everybody in here is just like an over actor. This is like uh, the actor studio oh, bad video voice game. Voice acting, okay, yeah, 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 that, yeah that, very bad. You know that that's just a, a an ongoing plague. I think of all anime related projects, so mm-hmm. can't really mm-hmm. fall in for that. So, did you ever make it to the second disc? I'm assuming no. No, I didn't make it to the second disc, but I do. I will say I do like the 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 game. Um, I do like its RPG brawler esque gameplay it's very fun it's it's deep if you want to get into it uh as much you can customize your character to where you whether you want it to be a defensive character whether you want it to be an offensive character whether you want it to just be a character that just sits back and looks pretty whatever you want to do with these characters you can do that you can level up as much as you want or you can just go to run through the game as much as you want the fighting style is very you know chaotic but uh once you get a hold of it you'll see that there's a method to it boss battles are very chaotic because the boss just like all games the things you do to regular enemies you cannot do to bosses like freeze them and stuff like that so is this so, is this a real time uh, rpg or is it turn based or totally totally real time okay. totally real time and uh it's just like it's just an rpg like brawler it's just like ready set go everybody runs to the middle it's like rugby everybody runs to the middle and you just fight it out 
And they have a different kind of defensive things that you can do. They have these things called blindside, which are pretty, uh, pretty nice looking, very visually nice looking, where if an enemy is about to attack you, you can kind of, uh, do a strafe and it'll do some kind of motion. And uh, depending on the character, they'll do a different move and it slows down and like that slow matrixy type thing. And, uh, and you'll get behind the character and you can hit them up from behind. That was very satisfying for the first. I guess 20 minutes and uh, you know but uh, uh, it's it, it does have a uh, stay in power and when I uh, and when they stop coming out with games I think my biggest problem is that they keep coming out with more and more games in games like keep sending me games and sure, sure. Uh, don't have time to uh, to play them right on man hey well thanks for joining us for uh, this episode of we talk games and uh, hope to get you back on here in the future to uh, talk about the baby we and more 360 <laughs> stuff well, I will be glad. I will be glad. Thanks for having See me. See you, man. Bye. Peace. That guy hates the Wii. Ralph. Keith, it's great to see you back in the booth. I, I, I apologize. I'm glad that you're here. You know what, Keith? I need to find out more about the Star Ocean. Let's open the phone lines. Kirby, Kirby, first-time caller, will tell me more about Star Ocean. And then we're going to have Tommy Talarico up right after that. Don't play a teaser, uh, Keith. Let's open the lines. Minnesota, go! Kirby! Oh, my word, okay. Kirby! Alright, let's just get into it here. Kirby, uh, is that you? This is me. I am I am me and myself. Alright. Now, listen, we had Ralph on. He told me about the first disc of uh, Star Ocean. I need to know what the rest of the discs do. Alright, <laughs> um, so the game is a, re- a rather long game. It comes in uh, three discs... And so far, the main story took me about 50 hours to get through it, so it oh, lasts okay. a while. All right. I'm actually on 71 hours now because there's a lot of post-game content and everything, which is really difficult, by the way. Now, what do you, what do you mean post-game content? You beat the game, it's over. What do you mean post-game? You beat the game, but it's not over. You can go back. There are two extra dungeons that you can go through. Yeah. See, the level cap is actually at 250. But once you beat the main game, you're only about 60, so you still got a long way to go before you ah. actually fully beat the game. Ah, who needs that type of pressure? I know, and it's really difficult. I'm having I'm having trouble getting through the first one, and I'm all my people are above level 200. So okay, now do you just play this by yourself, or can other people join in? Or uh, in traditional JRPG style, it's a single player game. Okay, very good, very good, good to know. For the best phrase I think that would describe it is better than the sum of its parts. Hmm. And there's a lot of little things that are kind of annoying about it. Like, the voice acting in some spots is really bad and annoying. That's what I heard, yeah. If you play JRPGs, you're used to that. But And some of the cutscenes near the end can be up to 45 minutes long. Holy mackerel! It is good in that if you decide you want to skip them, they give you a little synopsis to tell you what happens. So you don't have to sit there through the whole thing. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> But other than that, it is really fun. The The combat system is probably the best in any RPG you'll ever find, outside of maybe Fallout. But Okay. And I, I know I the other you... guy, he talked about a little bit about Matrix defense-style moves. Right, right, yeah, yeah, going in back at a guy and things like that. Yep, that is a special system called blindsiding. You block until just the right moment, and then you skip out of the way, and then you can do a critical, a critical hit on the guy. What type of people would you recommend get this title? Um, just about anyone who loves JRPGs, and I don't know, I'm I'm a big RPG fan myself, because I like a game you can play for a long time, not just you buy it, you beat it, and it's over. Mm-hmm. 
this it has several mo- it has a lot of different difficulties there's two that you can unlock called universe mode and chaos mode I haven't even gotten through that I'm just going through on the regular galaxy mode gotcha that's pretty much it uh, check it out it's a game that a lot of people haven't really heard of I don't think also I want to say that the Star Ocean 3 this is the fourth game in the series the third one for PlayStation 2 mm-hmm. probably my favorite game or one of my top five favorite games of all time what else we got then all right. Um, well, I'm also a bit of a PC gamer. I need to get a new system. It's from, like, 2004. But okay. I've been getting back into the Knights of the Old Republic Star Wars series. Ah! Which I absolutely loved those games. Um, the first one, the story is better, but the second one, they really improved the gameplay a lot. Okay. Now, what and are you I'm doing also, this? Is this, like, a, a war-style game? or I don't you, remember You're this. one person controlling a team of people, and you get certain different party members that you can switch out in between. And it is turn-based combat. Oh, okay, okay. That doesn't bother you too much. No, I'm 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 cool with that. But it's not hexagonal type of war strategy, right? It's it's more. No, no. Okay. It's, it's real time, but you take turns when you're fighting. So. Okay, gotcha. And, and one of the big things with me is whenever I get a game on the computer, I have to mod it to death. Okay. Because after I beat it normally, you know, I just find all the mods that are everything out for there. And the thing with Knights of the Old Republic 2 is the game was actually released before they fully finished it because they were pressured to get it out by Christmas. Oh, okay. And so there's a lot of missing content from the game. There's oh, there's whole planets that are even taken out of the game in the final cut of it. Wow. There, there's a team of modders out there that they're going by the name Team Gizka, and they're working on a full-released version with all the cut content to be reintroduced into the game. Oh, amazing. It says that it'll be released soon, and they're on the final cut of it now, but it's been going since 2006, I believe, so it's been a while. Yeah, I've been there with uh, with uh, with modders and hackers and things like that, so I know I know what waiting is about. A uh, thing that's been kind of disappointing to me is to continue on from the Nice of the Old Republic series. They're not making Nice of the Old Republic 3, which I really wish they would, because they can wrap up the story and everything that was left out at the ending of the second one. They're making Nice of the Old Republic, the MMORPG, the Mamorpaga, if you will. Yeah, Mamorpaga, that's how you say it. I needed a kid on here to tell me how to say that. So yeah, this they, they haven't really released a whole lot of information about the MMORPG yet. Oh, okay. They know We know it's set 300 years after the ending of the original Nice of the Old Republic games. Mm-hmm. You can pick between the Sith or the Republic side... The interesting thing is you can pick between if you want to be on the Republic side but evil or good or likewise with the Sith side. Oh. What they're saying is that it's going to be a lot better of a story than you see in most MMORPGs where, you know, you get a quest and go kill me X amount of wombats or whatever. They say it's going to have a lot more actual things to do with the whole overlook and outlook of the game. Okay, well, I'll look forward to that. And hopefully it'll be on consoles as well. The release date right now is pending. They say it's going to be out in 2010, but who knows? Right on, man. All right, we'll see. Got beta tests and everything like that. So. Now, you can still get this Knights of the Old Republic, or is it now called Knights of the New Republic? It's still Knights of the Old Republic. Okay. I would recommend getting the first one first before the second one, obviously, because the story won't make any sense if you don't okay. play the first one. And it's just an overall better game, in my opinion. And you could probably pick that up pretty cheap, I guess, I would assume. Yeah, you can get... I mean, I got the Nice Old Republic, the first one, for about $15 a few years ago, so they're okay. pretty cheap. It's got to be like... They might pay Second you to take them now. $30 around that area. Oh, okay. All right, man. Hey, well, thanks for joining us, Kirby. I look forward to hearing from you next month. 
All right, thanks for having me on. Play more role-playing games and then let me know about them. I will try to do that. All right, bye, man. Adios. All right, Keith, let's open the lines for our first special guest. San Juan Capistrano, go! Tommy Tallarico. Yo, how you doing? Good, I'm here. You are here. East-West Coast Connection. Tommy yes. Tallarico, of course, most famous for the 200-plus, 200 200, over 250. What's the count now? It's uh, 275 games. 275 games, of course, they are. Uh, I'll... I'll do you want them in alphabetical order or chronological? I would rather go chronological. I think that's what our listeners are expecting. No, but uh, okay. all that notwithstanding. Okay. Uh, congratulations, you're in the Guinness Book, I guess. That's yeah, yeah I'm in the, the Guinness Book of World Record. I, actually, I'm, there's three records in the Guinness that I appear, but the, the one I'm probably the most proud of is uh, the person who's worked on the most commercially released video games, and that, that's records. Uh, it's currently 272, but I've worked on three games since, so we'll have to uh, adjust that for next year's Guinness. But uh, also in there for the, uh, the longest-running video game television show over 13 years with the Electric Playground. Wow. And uh, and then the uh, the third Guinness record is uh, the most video game concerts in one year, which uh, again it was currently forty three, but we've uh, we're currently in the midst of breaking that, and uh, we do about seventy shows a year now with video games live, so it's pretty crazy. I did not know that. Now, are any of those uh, video game live uh, shows available on like a, in a video format, or is just strictly audio? I own audio, but. Right, yeah, yeah. We came out with an album last summer, Video Games Live Volume 1. It uh, debuted on the Billboard charts at number 10, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. Uh, but now, yeah, we're in the midst right now of working on a huge national television special. Um, and then from there, uh, the DVD will come out after that. Probably uh, looking at the end of 2009, but more than likely maybe uh, spring Q1 of 2010. Because these video game live, these are, these are visual spectacles as well. I mean, you have the whole big orchestra there. You have DJs and everybody else. And yeah, no, I mean, you know, the reason we created video games live was, you know, wanted to prove to the world how culturally significant and artistic video games have become. So, you know, I want to create a show for everybody, not just hardcore gamers, but anyone, people who never played a video game or people who are casual gamers. And, and that's why we created the show the way we did. It's not just a symphony on stage playing video game music, mm-hmm. um, but what makes it unique is that everything is completely synchronized with huge video screens and, and synchronized rock and roll lighting and special effects and a stage show production and interactive elements with the crowd and pre show festival and you know i kind of like to explain video games live as having all the power and emotion of a symphony orchestra but combined with the energy and excitement of a rock concert mixed together with all the cutting edge visuals technology interactivity and fun that video games provide so it really is a show in fact the people who are most uh, surprised and blown away by the experience are the non-gamers. You know, I mean, gamers, we, we know how cool the music to Halo and Final Fantasy is, but, sure. uh, you know, when you get somebody who hasn't played a game and they're hearing Metal Gear Solid and Kingdom Hearts for the first time, they're really amazed and they have a great uh, amount of respect for the video game industry after that. 
You truly are living a dream there, uh, no doubt about that. You're, you know, you're a success story, but I don't want that to take away from the talent, the hard work that all went into it. I just want to uh, step back a little bit. I mean, this is where you're at now, that and plus probably a whole lot more. You're going to take this global, I guess. Uh, but you, you, uh, you growing up, let, let's, let's go back. When, when, when did you first break into the business? I'm sure you've told this story countless times, but yeah, no, it's a, I, I, my whole life, my two greatest loves and passions were always video games and music. But you know, I never thought that I'd ever put the two together because when I was growing up in the seventies, there was no such thing as a video game composer. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, my parents were a product of the fifties. So I started, you know, I, I pick up music by ear. I never had uh, professional training or anything like that. So by the time I was, you know, three, four, years old i was playing the piano and banging out great balls of fire and jailhouse rock for my mom and dad and oh yeah yeah i love it that's what i grew up I, on as well i come from a uh, come from a, a musical family as well i mean my cousin is uh steven tyler from aerosmith is his real name is steven tellerico and, and so growing up i was always into aerosmith and led zeppelin and the beatles and uh you know pink floyd and later on van halen and the police but it was in 1977 when Star Wars came out, and I was about 10 years old, where I really, for the first time, noticed an orchestra and a symphony. And, and, and because of that score, that kind of, uh, and Rocky in 1976 was another big one, you know, that's when I started getting into classical music and the masters like Beethoven and Mozart. And, uh, and that's when I kind of started to think, hey, instead of being, a, you know, kind of a rock, rock and roller or, you know maybe doing uh you know doing uh being a composer and that's what really got me into it but it wasn't really and i was in bands and different things you know in high school and, and stuff but when i turned 21 is when i moved out to california i left my parents crying on the doorstep uh, i grew up on the east coast in springfield massachusetts and uh you know i drove out to california with no job no money no place to stay no friends nothing and uh you know, picked the only thing I really knew was Disneyland. So I, I picked up a, a newspaper in Orange County when I got here the first day, and uh, I saw a job for selling keyboards. Uh, I went down there the, the, the that same day, and they said you start tomorrow. You got the job, and I uh, showed up for the first day. Now I was, I was actually homeless. I was I was sleeping under a pier at, at Huntington Beach. Wow. And um and the, but the first. Uh, the first day I started at the music store, I was wearing a TurboGrafx-16 T-shirt, um, which back then, in 1990, no one had video oh, yeah. game T-shirts. Now you can freaking buy them in uh, Walmart, you know. Yeah, yeah. But at Target, at Kmart has them. And, uh, but back then, it was a very rare thing. And the, the way I'd gotten that shirt is that the previous summer at, at the county fair, TurboGrafx had a tent set up, and you could play the games, and, and if you told them what you thought of them, you know, they took a little survey survey or whatever they'd give you a t-shirt and i waited in line like two hours that day but um so the first person who walked in the the music store uh happened to be a producer at virgin and he saw my shirt and uh he kind of you know said hey you want a job you start tomorrow so <laughs> they hired me as a games tester first uh you know making six dollars an hour to play video games and i'm like wow i could die now this is this i could do this for the rest of my life and uh 
so I was in California three days, and I was in the video game industry. And, um, that was uh, over 19 years ago. Um, and then with the, I would bug the vice president of the company every day. I said, look, whatever you need music, um, I'll, I'll do it. Um, you know, you don't have to pay me. I just want to, you know, an opportunity because we didn't have like music people back then. The company was just starting. <laughs> and so the first game that came up was a game called uh, Prince of Persia, the original one. And, uh, did the uh, music and sound with that and uh, won some awards and so they made me the music guy and uh, that's that's uh, that's the story and that's <laughs> how I ended up with the uh, with you holding a a, a a keyboard over your shoulder with a strap <laughs> uh, you know in front of the the, the Tommy Tallarico studios and after you left Virgin I guess um, yeah, I was at Virgin for uh, for about four years. I left in '94. Uh, a lot of a lot of people left Virgin in 1994 when Viacom bought the company, and it it went from being a really fun, cool place to more of a corporate atmosphere. So we all kind of took off. You know, David Perry formed his company, Shiny Entertainment, and we started working on Earthworm Jim. And uh, John Body formed Black Ops Entertainment. There was a bunch of bunch of offshoot companies. You know, guys, uh, a lot of people who worked. There, went off and started Blizzard, started working at Blizzard and things like that. So yeah, it was a it was a great it was a great time there in the early '90s to be working at Virgin because it, it had such a amazing uh, talent pool. Now, I, I guess uh, the sky's the limit now as far as uh, what what goes into uh, you know orchestrating any type of music for video games. But back like when you said about Prince of Persia uh, and older titles. Um, how, the thing that I'm interested in is, you know, cartridges, sound, the, the FM synthesis, the P, PCM sound. How did that work? How did you compose the music and then it, it goes into a cartridge? Yeah, I mean, back then, it, it, you know, creating the music was, was the easy part. You know, getting it to sound like something was the difficult <laughs> part. And, uh, you know, back then when you didn't have much to work with technically... It was all about the melody, you know, and that's why some of the greatest video game music of our generation, uh, you know, was written. You know, the Mario, Zelda, Castlevania, Metroid, you know, those are, those are the games because when you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, when, when you only had 45 seconds and then it had to loop and you only had four voices uh, to, to communicate with. It had to be about melody, about great melody, and that's why you got some of the greatest melodies uh, back then. But, um, uh, you know, that being said, yeah, you know, when I started in the industry, there was no, uh, you know, music and audio in general was an afterthought. You know, it was like, okay, the game's done. Uh, we don't have any time left. There's no budget. There's no space left in the cartridge. Uh, put some sounds in this. You got, you know, we're submitting it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one of the first things I tried to uh, achieve and, and change within the game industry in regards to audio is to make sure that people thought of it in the beginning and that it was something that was thought of that was important and, you know, uh, a, a major part of the gaming experience. And so, um, you know, and, and when you, you know, the play some of the earlier games you know that i worked on like disney's aladdin and uh cool spot or earthworm jim and some of the terminator and some of those um you know music and and 
the audio played an important role in, in a lot of those games, along with the graphics and the gameplay and everything else. Uh, but it wasn't an afterthought. It was something that, you know, we budgeted for from the beginning, both from a technology and space, cartridge space standpoint. And uh, David Perry was really the guy, uh, the lead programmer of a lot of those games I mentioned, that, um, you know, was kind of the guy holding the torch uh, saying, hey, we need to spend more money. Uh, on cartridges to get bigger cartridges so that, you know, Tommy has more space to, uh, to do his stuff, you know. So, um, you know, it was, it was a mind frame that, that had to change, a mindset. And, uh, and then in the mid-90s, when CD-ROMs became available as a storage medium, that's when you started to see the industry uh, change and, and, you know, people could start to record live music. But the reality was is that the budgets hadn't caught up yet mm-hmm. to... Uh, to uh, to the technology, so it really wasn't until the turn of the century that you started to see great scores like Halos and the Warcrafts and Metal Gear Solids and the God of Wars and Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts and all the all the great ones. Um, you know, that's that's when all the big orchestral scores, Medal of Honor, and those things started to happen because now. You know, we could afford to record live orchestras and live choirs and live musicians and guitars and drums and all the rest. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite the uh, the the, hit, the trip. And uh, you know, to think about it, you know, going back, you know, only twenty years ago, you know, we were all still doing blips and bloops, you know, and and it's come so far in such a short period of time. It's it's pretty amazing to think about. So, so what did you like? Uh, what did you compose on back then uh, in the computer or, or in? Yeah, you know, or? I I was one of the first guys because I didn't know anything about programming, and back then you pretty much had to be a computer programmer in order to do music and, mm-hmm. and audio for games, and I didn't really know any of that. I mean, I had done like you know, I'd messed around with the uh, the language basic, you know, doing you know dirty text adventures <laughs> sure. uh, on, my, on my Apple II E. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I think we all did that the commodore 64 days but um but no I, I didn't really know about programming really so what i did is i had um i had programmers design me tools uh, specific tools in which i could take my midi keyboard and and plug it in so so not a typing keyboard but a musical keyboard sure. and sure. plug it directly to the sound chip in the box uh, in the in the hardware platform I was working in and then I would attach that to a PC which would which would I could control the sound of the chip so I could mess around with it um, but then I could also hook it up to another PC and I would record it using a MIDI sequencer. So recording the different, you know, note on, note off, note value, note numbers, the note length, uh, the velocity of the note, if there was any pitch bends and things like that. It was very, very simple. Um, and, and so I was able to use a real keyboard in order to create music on, on those, you know, more archaic machines like the NES and the Game Boy and the Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo and what have you. And that, that gave me a, a distinct advantage because I was coming at it from a musician standpoint as opposed from a computer programmer standpoint. You know, try to mouse click the blues. You just can't do it. You know, it's something that, <laughs> that you just, you know, feel and you have to play. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that was my, kind of my trick back then was getting a lot of space, uh, in the cartridge and also being able to play an instrument 
uh, pl- playing the machine as an instrument and recording that data was was huge. Speaking of the blues, and and that's that's what I think is so uh, you know amazing about. Of course, if you look down the, if you have two hundred and seventy plus games, you're going to have probably hopefully you're gonna you're gonna span genres, and that's that's something that you definitely do, uh, and that's that's a good thing. And but what amazes me is when things sort of like like banjo race just come out of nowhere. Uh, how did that happen? Earthworm Jim's a, was a was a great a fun game because we didn't really have a game design document for that one. It was a, about ten, twelve guys in a room for a year trying to make each other laugh. That that was the game design document for that. So you know, from the music, it's like yeah, you know, we wanted to do some serious kind of you know techno electronica type of stuff, but. But then we'll do a polka tune, and then we'll do a banjo tune, and then we'll do a, you know, let's let's play classical music on this level. Why? Because it's funny. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and then we'll play Italian music the level after that, and then go back to a serious tune. So, you know, there was no rules. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a fun one because, you know, you'd, I'd covered so many musical styles, kind of funny musical styles from polkas to... Uh, you know, to to, uh, to German music and uh, you know Zydeco and, and banjo music and and all the rest. That that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, Tommy, remember me? It's your old pal, Cake Rock One Point Zero on DOS. What great times we had back in the day. I'm just kidding. It's actually me, Titi Schmutkins. Isn't it nice to have a computer that can uh. talk to food? All right, that's uh, the co-host TT. Oh, you scared me there. I thought I was I was being reunited with my my old my very first MIDI sequence. <laughs> now we came out a little bit different. Uh, I think uh, I, I started on the Insonic uh, EPS, uh, and then the EPS sixteen was the first uh, sampler I got involved with, and, and sequencer. And we used, we used to use, we didn't have an Omega back then. We had a, a I think just a C sixty four. And yeah. In, in my first trip into the studio, uh, the producer there had an Atari ST. Um, but you, you had the cakewalk, huh? Yeah, I was, I was a PC guy. I see. And uh, never got into the Mac side of things, because a lot of people do. A lot of musicians back then, especially in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, Macs were kind of the only system you had. But um, I, I, I had a PC, and... Um, uh, yeah, and, and Cakewalk was really the only MIDI sequencer that ran on a PC at that, at that point. What, uh, what are your I'm favorite? Eight, oh. ni- 1989, 1990. What are your, what some of your favorite uh, instruments now? What what uh, what keyboards do you, do you like to use now? Or Yeah, well, you know, it's all about plugins and things like that now. But, but again, going back then, um, you know, I, I was a ro- big Roland guy. Okay. So, you know, my first sampler was a Roland S50. Uh, and then, you know, you move up to the 770, which was the monster back then. It was a great machine. Um, but, you know, I always liked the big fat analog sounds like, you know, Oberheim's, you know, the OB8s and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, I have a, J- uh, JB, I have a JP8000. JD8000. Yeah, yeah uh, it's a, one of the newer. They tried to go back to analog. Uh, oh, it's it's a beautiful that 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 metallic dark blue machine. I got yeah. one. I'm looking at it right now in my studio. Now the JP8000 and they have the JD800. <laughs> I uh, have them both. Wow, fantastic. Um, now, uh, what, now you're a gamer, right? I mean, you like the video games. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. hope so. Uh, what what uh what Better. are some of your fa- yeah and because uh, else you're going to be miserable uh yeah. 
what what uh, what what's some of your favorite uh, things right now? What's going on now? What do you like? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big you know when my friends come over and stuff, we'll play Guitar Hero and Rock Band. It's always still a still a favorite. You know, I'm on the road a lot, so I got the PSP and the DS, and uh, you know, I like quirky stuff on the DS. So you know, stuff like Elite Beat Agents, and and I got this. Uh, it's kind of like Nintendo, except it's for panda bears. So you know, I take care of my little panda bear on the road. I see. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the PSP, I'm playing things like uh, you know God of War, Chain of Olympus, such a great game. It is. And, uh, it's amazing on there. Any, any of the driving stuff, you know, wipeouts and any of that stuff is great. But, uh, and then on the, on the big machines, um, gosh, you know, I, I, it's funny because, you know, I don't have a lot of time at home because I'm always on the road now. So I find myself like just trying to finish stuff that came out like a year ago. So, you know, I'm still playing like Metal Gear 4 trying to, you know, trying to finish that. And, uh, um, What's another one? Uh, you know, Uncharted. Actually, yeah, the uh, first one. I got. I got about ninety percent through that one, so I went back and wanted to finish that. And, yeah, but even some of the old older stuff, like on the PlayStation Two. Like I, I've been playing Shadow of the Colossus lately, which I which I love because I never finished that one either. Phenomenal. And Beyond Good and Evil, another great one. Yeah, I love Shadow of the Colossus. I love the ICO. I'm very excited about the new title that they're bringing out for the PS3. I think that's going to be amazing. And you were at E3. Yeah. Absolutely, and that was actually one of my favorite uh, my favorite games that they were showing there. It was called uh, oh geez, what the hell was it called? Yeah, they were calling it Trico at first because it was like the third Eco or whatever. But um, it was called the last the last Guardian some- Guardian, I think. Last Guardian, that's it. Yeah. That, oh man, I'm looking forward to that. But no, E3. I saw God of War three looked amazing. Uncharted two uh, looked incredible. Um, really excited actually about the new uh, Mario. It's called the new Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, because uh, it's 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 back the old school, you know, kind of side scrolling platform, which is which is awesome. And I don't know why companies gave that up. You know, I mean, it completely ruined the Sonic franchise when they went took it to 3D. True, um, but. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, those are some of the ones I was really, uh, you know, really quite impressed by. Of course, uh, I'm a big Van Halen fan, so Guitar Hero Van Halen was there. Uh, the Beatles rock band looked awesome. So, Did you get exciting. to see uh, George and Ringo there? I, you know, I didn't because we were, we were, I was preparing, we had a big show, uh, ourselves, uh, Video Games Live played at the Greek Theater during E3 as a part of E3. So, I see. I, you know, I, I, that particular night when those guys were there, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was rehearsing. Yeah, you can check it out on your Xbox 360. It's, you didn't miss much, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, it's uh, sort of like, uh, we don't really know what this is, but uh, thanks for having us on here and, uh, you know, royalty check and uh, the end. Oh, really? They didn't play the game or anything? Uh, no, unless there's parts that were missing. They didn't even really understand what it was. Thanks for having us on your game <laughs> show, they said. It's a great game show we're on. <laughs> So, I have a, I have a feeling Aerosmith might be a little bit more in tune with uh, what's going on with their their version of the game. Yeah, they're they're pretty hip, and they love the big royalty checks as well. Sure, sure, and who doesn't? I guess. Well, um, thanks to the video game industry. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing, and and what a big boom it has been for for that franchise as well. Um, now, obviously, you get to realize a lot of your music based ideas come to reality, but if, if you could make anything music-related happen. I mean, I know you're flying to Japan tomorrow. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, but if you could make anything happen, like sky's the limit, 
what do you think musically you would do? You know, it, 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 it's funny. It's an interesting question because really, I mean, my, my whole goal in life is always to, you know, ha- have a dream and, and ach- achieve that goal and achieve that dream and, and nothing will get in my way and always have a positive mental attitude and, and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, the dream right now, I mean, I'm, I'm living it. It's, yeah. it's, Taking the greatest video game music of all time and touring it all over the world uh, in front of hundreds of thousands of people, screaming fans and audiences who just love video games and, and people who don't know anything about video games and, and getting them involved. And I mean, that I can't think of a, of a, of a bigger and better dream right, right now. That was my dream that has been for, you know, uh, for the last eight, nine years because we started video games live in 2000. 2002, and it took us three years to do our first show in 2005, and we did three shows in 2005, 11 shows in 2006, 29 shows in 2007, last year 47 shows all over the world, wow. and this year over 70 shows, so... Um, you know, this is it. You know, this is the dream. I mean, what what an amazing uh, privilege and honor I have to to take the greatest video game music. Uh, and we're always changing the show. You know, uh, we we do a two and a half hour performance, and uh, that constitutes about twenty games, or, or sorry, twenty different segments. Uh, but we've created over sixty segments for video games live. So we've never played the same show twice wow. uh, in the four years we've been uh, touring this around, and and we never will so there's always uh, something new for everybody and that's why we come back to places like la for four years or you know the fourth year houston brazil some of the places we go every year you know those people who've seen the show the last four years are going to see a, a, a new one this year so um yeah it's building the audience and uh, and helping to spread the word Mm, that truly is living a dream. And you know, it's not just a musician's dream. I talk to successful pro wrestlers. They want to be rock stars. I talked to Dr. Alan Hale of Comet Hale Bop fame. He didn't want to be an astronomer. He wanted to be a rock star. And then you throw the video game element into this. Who wouldn't want to be successful in, in the music industry or in a video game industry? And your story in particular can turn jealousy into inspiration. I know it certainly has for me. The more I found out about it, the happier I was for you and your success and the repercussions of that success. I mean, Video Games Live is beneficial to the entire video game industry. So let's get back to what brought you to the dance. Is there any more video game music coming out of the Tommy Tallarico Studios? You know, I, I got asked at the end of last year, Sega Japan called me up and uh, asked if I wanted to do some music for the new Sonic the Hedgehog game. So that was a that was a great honor. And wow. uh, so I was able to write uh, three songs over the Christmas break last year for the new Sonic game that just came out, Sonic and the Black Knight, and uh, for the Wii. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, still still have my toe in the water, you know, doing music uh, and um, sound design projects here and there, working on the new Lineage 2, uh, doing a game called Flip's Twisted World for the Wii, and, uh, you know, in my spare time, kind of in between tour dates and things like that. Amazing. Well, thanks for joining us uh, this month on We Talk Games. Tommy Tallarico. Thank you so much. Wow, Tommy Tallarico, what a guy, what a guy. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's still working on games. Of course, the last game I worked on was Legends of WrestleMania. I was the motion capture model for Dusty Rhodes' Splotch. 
You can find out everything, of course, about Tommy Tallarico at Tallarico.com or VideoGamesLive.com. You can find links around there. And oh, everything's involved with Gang. He just, he's had his hands in so much. The Tallarico Studios, of course. Amazing, amazing stuff. Keith, let's do two more What You've Been Playing. we got a new new fella on the line here, and then, of course, I'll talk about what I've been playing, and especially on portable devices like, open them up! Madison, Wisconsin, go! Hey, Wiggly, thanks for having me on the show. On the line, Eric Alexander. Ale- now, I'm going to call you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of that. I'm going to call you Eric Alex. Eric Alex. The man with two first names. It's really your name, but then it's sort of like the Curly Joe. When Curly <laughs> when Curly Joe came into the scene of the Stooges, he was filling in for Curly and Joe. So now you're sort of like a like an Eric and an Alexander. There oh, you go. And, and an Alex, I mean. There was no Alexander. Aztec Alex. i got to get in touch with that guy. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, Alex. Uh, Eric Alex. <laughs> Go! What do we got from you this fine day? Well, lately I've been playing a couple of games. They're both uh, licensed games. Okay. Uh, one of them is John Woo's Stranglehold. Well, now this game, I really wanted it. When I heard about this, I was like, John Woo, this is going to be great. You're going to hit the slow motion button and doves are going to be flying out of your controller. So I cannot wait to hear about this review. Well, this is a really good game. Uh, if you ever played any of the Max Payne games from a generation ago. Sure. Uh, Rockstar put out. It controls a lot like that. It's a third-person shooter. You uh, move around with the left stick. I was playing this on the 360, so you use the left stick to move around. You shoot with the right trigger, and you jump and slow down time with the uh, left trigger. So you do slow down time, and that that's perfect for a Woo movie. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. I and mean, that's course, where Max Payne came up with that mechanic, was by watching these old John Woo movies. It comes full circle. It does. And, of course, the great Max Payne uh, games, based on the movie, do the same. <laughs> I think it's the other way around. Yeah, and, and, and I heard that the Max Payne is, has nothing to do with bullet time or anything else. But that's another story for another topic. Yeah. And it's but, a topic uh, for another story. Well, yeah, I could see that. And what else? So what? So what else happens in Stranglehold? You're 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 evidently chewing the fat. Well, yes, you get to play as Chow Yun Fat. Okay. And uh, the storyline—it's a sequel to Hard Boiled. Oh uh, wow! It, yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with the events in Hard Boiled, but a baby uh, doesn't play, pee on you. No, no baby pee. Uh, it was uh, sort of a disappointment. Uh, yeah. But you do play as Tequila from that. Okay. Uh, from that movie. And it's a, it's like a typical like cop story. There's a, there's a dead cop, and one man has to go undercover and find everything. Okay. So you, uh, you basically maraud your way through the Hong Kong underworld and kill, I don't know, hundreds of people <laughs> on your way to find the guy that killed this cop. And there's a few twists and turns. The storyline's pretty, uh, you know, it's decent. It's nothing to write home about, I wouldn't sure. say. right. But the voice acting, you know, you got Chow Yun Fat as himself, wow. as as Tequila, and so and it's in English, uh, so he's got his own voice work. It's pretty cool. Good. And this game is just a blast to play. And like, you can pro- uh, probably find it cheap. Yes, that's another good thing. It came out in two thousand seven, I think. 
So it's a couple of years old now. Like uh, I think I've seen it at Best Buy for less than twenty bucks. So now's the time to uh, revisit that. If you passed on it the first time, thinking it's a, it wasn't uh, couldn't cut cut the mustard. I saw a lot of people complaining that it was a big rip off of Max Payne. Oh, well, see, they don't know. They, yeah. they only think, oh, the Hulk. That's the only thing Wu can do, and they don't know yeah. his fantastic body of work that made it so, you know, uh, so, so exciting that he was going to do an Incredible Hulk movie, which unfortunately, you know, came out like the Incredible Hulk uh, did. Yeah. But uh, that's besides the point. Yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, John Woo's work in America hasn't been that impressive. Well, I think you know, he did, like, uh, face Mission off. Impossible 2. Face-Off wasn't that bad, except, yeah, that, you face know. Yeah, Face-Off was okay. I mean, despite who, I mean, you look at who it starred, yeah. Cage and Travolta, I mean, yeah. you know, for that, it's still a good movie. Yeah, that's true. Vinny Barbarino, forget <laughs> it. Guy jumping yeah. out of a plane as Elvis, forget about it. Yeah. All right. What else we got? Is that it for that one? Well, no, I mean, the, one of the big strengths, one of the things that people will love about this Stranglehold game is the ridiculous amount of environmental destruction you get going in it. Uh, you'll be, oh. one of my favorite levels is the second level. You go to a shanty town and you're blowing up drug labs in a shanty town. Everything is destructible. The frames of the buildings aren't, but. Everything else, you shoot it, it falls over, it, it leaves debris everywhere. You blow up a drug lab, and the whole building goes up. Wow. And it's just a giant mess. It's uh, there's another satisfying. level where It is extremely satisfying. There's another level where you're in a big casino, and you just wreck the joint. And uh, it's, it's gaming perfection on that level. Wow. Now, it's can, just great. I need to ask you, can you slide and shoot, like slide on your side and still be shooting both hands, gangster Oh, yeah, style. definitely. Oh. So the left trigger is basically your uh, dive to the side uh, <laughs> button. If you put the crosshair on an enemy while you're diving to the side, the game kind of goes into a sepia tone and uh, oh. slows the action down. Okay. And that lets you get like more precision aiming going on. Well, I'm all about, you know, last year's games and two years ago's games, so uh, I'm definitely going to have to pick this back up. I'm going I'm to have to look at uh, Wiggly's Mini Mall and see if I got anything on there. I bet it's on there. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> the other thing that's really cool about this game is the, uh, the special powers. This is what kind of sets it apart from Max Payne. Okay. In Max Payne, your special power was that you could slow down time. In this one, you've got some other ones, too. You build up a meter in the lower left of the screen called your tequila juice or something like that. And uh, you get three different powers, plus you can heal yourself with the with the juice if you want to. Oh, I see. Uh, one of them is that you get to do a precision shot, which is a lot of fun. Uh, you're basically, it stops time, and your view goes way to the other, like all the way to the end of your vision, and blows everything way up. And then you put the crosshair where you want the bullet to go, and you pull the trigger, and then you get the bullet camera that follows uh, the bullet all the way over to your enemy. Great, great. And they have a they have a bunch of different reactions. If you shoot them in the head, he'll like catch it in his mouth and clutch his mouth. It's uh, <laughs> gets kind of kind of gory, but it's it's really fun. The uh, second power is called the barrage. When you trigger this power, game cuts way back. You see, uh, you see your character Tequila from the front. He's kind of gritting his teeth and loading his gun. So if you're using your shotgun, you see him loading shells into the shotgun. Mm. Then it cuts back to a uh, your third person view, 
and all of a sudden your gun has become this like death cannon. So with the uh, with the shotgun, especially the shotgun is just brilliant in this game. With the shotgun, you destroy the entire area when you trigger this power. Right. It's just great. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of letters uh, next month about uh, people that pick this up, and hopefully we'll we'll hear what they think about it. Oh, it's very good. I highly recommend that to everybody. Now, Conan, on the other hand, I can't recommend to anybody. Now, this is, of course, based on the, the late-night comedian Conan O'Doyle. <laughs> no, it's, it's based on the, uh, the, the short stories and novels by Robert E. Howard. Oh, okay. Uh, Not based uh, on the Marvel franchise, then, I guess, huh? Well, I mean, I, that was based on the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, but he's but, a Sumerian. This is, is this your first time you could be a Sumerian in a, in a video game? I think there were some, uh, like, like uh, text adventures with Conan back in the day. Ah, right, right. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure there were other ones, too. And, of course, there was that MMO, Age of Conan, that came out not too, not too long after this one came out, actually. See, I thought they were the same thing. That's how uninterested I was. Yeah. Well, it I mean, would... this Conan game is a third-person action game, kind of in the same style as, uh, I don't know, God of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that uh, what you reviewed last time, the uh, Wolverine Uncaged oh, okay. Edition, that game. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it's, it's ridiculously that... <laughs> close to that Wolverine game in the way it plays. Oh, okay. I, I've played both of these games. I think Wolverine overall was a better game. Uh, All right. But I think that Wolverine took a lot of mechanics from this Conan game. Uh, I just It felt eerily familiar playing through them both. I see. But this Conan game, I'm a big fan of the, the stories. You know, I even like the the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah. Uh, and I looked at the game and I saw the voice work was by Ron Perlman and Claudia Black. Can't go wrong uh, there. Yeah, you know. So I thought, hey, you know, well, it's got to be worth the 14 bucks I found it for. <laughs> so I picked it up. I turned it on. And the 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 biggest problem with this game is it's disappointing. For about the first hour of the game, you're having a good time. You're unlocking new moves. You're, you know, killing people with swords. It's a it's a blast. Mm-hmm. And then the problem is, is that about an hour into the game, the guys that used to be the lieutenants or the mid bosses suddenly become the rank and file troops, uh, and they're immune to like half your moves. I see. So it makes you look like a chump, and you're supposed to be Conan. Yeah. Not some chump that gets blocked and parried all the time. Plus, the voice work is terrible. I was just, you know, Ron Perlman, like, phoned this in. He sounds bored through the whole thing. He's got these battle cries, and he just says them. He's Uh. like, go back to hell. (laughs) He's just saying it. Claudia Black's voice work, terrible. She's always hitting, like, the wrong emotion. I see. There's one part where she, you're trying to rescue her character uh, from, I don't know, uh, an elephant god, actually. And uh, you're fighting your way through a horde of minions, and she yells from the next room, uh, Conan, they're going to sacrifice me to their elephant god. <laughs> and she sounds overjoyed. It's, it's, it's entirely the wrong emotion to get. And it's like, you know, you're a pro actress. I've seen you on TV. Don't just phone it in. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe they, uh, may, I don't know, maybe somebody stiffed them on the checks or something. Ah, that could be. That would explain some things. I see. The yeah. other, uh, Conan's, like, big selling point, I think, when it first came out. Red Sonja. Uh, 
What's that? Red Sonia would be in there, right? That's what you think. No, she she's not. Oh, okay. I but didn't it, think so. But there's a lot of you rescue these uh, damsels in distress all over these levels. Okay. And it's a mature rated game, uh-huh. and they're all topless. Right. And their voice work is also embarrassingly bad. <laughs> when you rescue them, they have some of the most groan-inducing lines. And I, I wrote one of them down because this is so bad. Okay. You rescue this woman. She says, take me and crush me with your love. <laughs> Which I think would be a great thing for T.T. Schmootkins to say, actually. Yeah, she's out <laughs> of the room now, thankfully. <laughs> she's been bugging me the whole show. But, uh, yeah, that Conan... Skip it. Just skip it. it. You know, the first hour is fun, and then everything after that is just a... I haven't even finished it. It became tedious. And that's not what you want out of your fun game. Right. Especially a hack and slasher like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, Take me and crush me with your love. All right, Kiki. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, uh, Eric, well, thanks for joining in in this month, uh, giving us those reviews. And then you can find those for your PlayStation 3, your Xbox 360, and uh, I guess PC. Now, I, I don't know if Stranglehold came out for PC. I'm not sure. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us uh, this month on We Talk Games. Hey, thanks for having me. Bye! Bye. Eric Alex, Eric Alex, that's so great. I, I always wanted that stranglehold. Now I now I know more about it. That's great. Uh, let's open it up. Let's go across the pond. And Scarthy, go! Okay, this is uh, Johnny Capcom reporting from the bosom of a giant duck in the uh, marshes of Enniscarthy. Well, that's that where I exist. called you. I called you on your duck phone. Exactly. It's kind of like a set-up Oscar Cobblepot had in the Batman Returns, if you remember that. <laughs> you know... Was that a oh, game? It was a game. I don't actually. play the Batman games too much. But uh, you've seen the film, right? Batman Returns. I have seen the film. However, I'm I don't it, it merges in all the other poorly shot films with people running around with rubber masks and their ears jiggling. So those I don't care for. Oh, okay. What you got for us today? This this month. Uh, I've actually got two GameCube titles that I don't really have a lot to say about, but I can mention them anyway. That's Crazy Taxi and Beautiful Joe. So uh, if you got your, if you're able to get to them anyway, yeah, uh, do they're fun. Yeah, yeah, I I never played Crazy Taxi on a GameCube, um, but uh, definitely played a lot of Beautiful Joe. I mean, it was an exclusive until Beautiful Joe AX came out. For all the other systems yeah. and XL and LIs. I missed it completely when it first came out, and I actually bought my GameCube the year the Wii came out. Oh, so, okay. uh, wow. Well, yeah, I there's a place, um, pretty awesome place in Wales where I was living at the time that sold like uh, secondhand consoles and stuff, so I just picked one up because they were going cheap because everyone was selling their GameCubes when the Wii came in. Like, you know, so sure, sure. I'm still discovering some games for that. Like in Beautiful Joy, when we really started playing recently, it's a, it's a gorgeous 2D fighter, you know? Oh, yeah. A lot of gems on that system. And mostly because most people skipped it. You know, they they looked at it. They thought, I don't know. But it had a nice little ATI uh, graphics chip in there. It was, a, it was a nice little system. Yeah, and the thing with Crazy Taxi is there was actually a lot of Dreamcast conversions on there. Because, I mean, I have uh, Ikaruga mm-hmm. for it as well. Sure, sure, um, yeah. You know, there's just different things. Like I think it was, I, I, I guess Sega must have just got a quick little cheap deal with them or something. I know, I think it was a, actually Acclaim who ported over Crazy Taxi, so maybe it was just some kind of like backdoor type of shenanigans. Sure, sure. Uh, the main 
thing that took up my time recently is um, I was watching the X-Men movies recently. Okay. The ones that came out. And I just thought I'd like to play some X-Men games. Yeah. So, uh, That's what you know, Stinky I, was going to talk about last week, but I, I cut him off. He was going to talk about Arcade Revenge for the SNES. But, uh, okay, well, this is all Genesis. Okay, great. Playing. And uh, first off, I started playing X-Men, just playing all X-Men. Right, it had like a, a, a shimmery, mirrored uh, case, right? Maybe yeah, you didn't I have th- the case. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just have the uh, the cartridge. Loose cart, loose cart. Yeah, it's really loose, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> It's almost cart-free, yeah. you could say. But... Uh, sorry. <laughs> the, anyway, this game, I don't know if people like this game or anything. It's uh, it's fine. I mean, it has all your favorite mutant powers, like the flying punch and <laughs> the kick. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but it's but just... Big characters, you know, right? Pretty big characters on there. Yeah, but uh, the enemies in the first level, which is all I got through, were like, they kind of looked like Giant Gonzalez, if you remember him. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. And I think they give you the Ram Jam or something. <laughs> they probably do. And it's just, the music is kind of not good, and yeah. it's a little bit depressing, but, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe if, you, if you're nostalgic for it, you'd like it. Well, weren't all superhero games kind of a little bit depressive? A little bit. I yeah. mean, it's not as bad as, like, I mean, at least this one knows it's kind of junk, because, I mean, it's not like Captain America and the Avengers, and it's like, where that <laughs> thinks it's doing something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I started playing X Men Two, then the Clone Wars. Oh, that might have been the one with that was the one with the mirror box. I think actually, never mind. This, this Take was a back. major step up, though. I mean, this was a uh, this was actually a really fun game to play. Y- you get in there, and the mutant powers are just all over the place. You know, you can use them straight out the gate. The levels are challenging, and uh, you know, like there's a couple of crappy characters like Psylocke and Nightcrawler are a bit Aww. junk. I liked Psylocke. Well, of course I did, because you know. She's kind of good looking. Yeah, well, I mean, in the, uh, in the game, I, yeah. I, I'm not too fond of her because, like, she's got that little hand blast that takes like five years to go off. Yeah, and she got her sword, which isn't the most, isn't the best weapon. No, it's it's a really fun game, and especially the second level where you're like you start out at the foot of a um, sentinel. The foot, yeah, sentinel, and you go up and climb into its mouth. I mean, that's great level yeah. design, as far as I'm concerned. You yeah. know, yeah. and uh, I couldn't recommend that one. I mean, like, if you want to play an X Men game, I don't know if there's a better one. Yeah, that probably, you're right. Off the top of my head, I mean that, and you know, of course, if you just want to fight as a X Men guy, I guess you had the those uh, the X Men fighting game by Capcom for the oh, uh, yeah. for the Saturn, but that's about it. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, they're kind of a given, though. You know, I mean, yep. nobody really doubts those. But uh, the third game I played was uh, <laughs> Wolverine Adamantium Rage. Oh yeah, and uh, let's just say. I couldn't play it. Yeah. He, when you run, he doesn't stop running when you stop pressing the button. Yeah, yeah. He, he slows it. that. And I couldn't kill the first drone. It took me like three or four <laughs> goals to kill the first drone, and I was just like, "Oh, wow, this was totally worth my time." <laughs> so you didn't but, play. You didn't play uh, Arcade Revenge, huh? That you're no, tiny. You're a little tiny. Oh, sorry. It might have been under Spider-Man. That's why you might have skipped that one. It's Spider-Man and X-Men Arcade Revenge. And you're real tiny little little characters. And that's almost impossible to play as well. 
Is it a sequel to the arcade game? Or? Uh, no, no. It's uh, it was it was the one of the first. Um, well, it was. I, I won't. I don't want to say it was one of the first games because, of course, you had X Men games for the for the NES. It was one of the first cross platforms. It came out for Genesis, Super Nintendo. I think that was it. But uh, it was just all little. Each each chapter, you play a different X Men or Spider Man, and uh, it's rough. It's rough on you. Let's just say that. Is it better than Punisher on the Game Boy? <laughs> on the Game Boy, uh, wasn't that uh, wasn't that a, a first person type of? Uh, uh, it's oh. like Operation Wolf. Yeah, yeah, Operation Wolf type of game. I, I didn't mind that. I don't know. I gotta tell yeah, you, Spider Man turns up in that. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that completely. Completely. So no, I don't think it was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say there's a game actually I've been I got a loan of recently. It's it's far from being the greatest game in the world, but it's basically the game and equivalent of a movie that you like. You don't love it, but you'll watch it. Okay. And that is the uh, the Quantum of Solace game. It's grand. It's ah. not in the right right home about, but I've just been playing it. It's like it's not Goldeneye, but what is? Quantum of Solace, brand new for what system? I've been playing it on the Wii. Oh, on the Wii. Oh, okay, okay, very good. But it's, it's interesting to play because you got the the reticle. Is that the right word? And you control that with your Wii mount and move around with the nunchuck. Uh, yeah, that's the right word. Reticle. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's fine though. You know. I mean, is that again, Cockney slang? Reticle. I don't know. Reticle. I, I, it could be sent wrong. There's probably someone screaming at me now okay. somewhere in the world. I, I, I think that's the word. Aimer. Okay. Oh, you're aimer. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. what I call it. Aimer. Crosshairs. Gotcha. But uh, you control that with the Wiimote, so it's kind of easy to play. Okay, but, uh, okay. It's fine. And, and it's, uh, it's, is that what it is? It's like a shooter, or is it, or is it a, a first-person uh, type of uh, walk first person oh, okay. Uh, shooter. Okay, very good, very good. All right, man, is that it? Is that what you got? No, no, I got oh, one last game. One last. Was, uh, Let's hit it. I was uh, Guitar Hero Metallica, which I picked up recently for the PS2. Okay, very good. Oh, PS2, very nice. Yeah. We don't do a lot of PS2 reviews, so that's good. Yeah, um, it actually looks really good for the PS2. And uh, I mean, I've only, uh, the reason I bought it was because I had all the other games in the series on PS2. Like, sure, you know? sure, sure, sure. Um, how do I put it? I guess you could say if you don't like Metallica, don't get the game. Yeah. I mean, I do like a bit of metal, you know, so sure. I enjoyed it a lot. But I, I, I mean, I, I don't personally think that applies too much because I mean, I love elite beat agents, you know, and that I, I just like. I don't think I really like. I like like two songs outside of that game, you know, in, in real life. Sure. Now your you know, elite I mean, beat agents that came with. Uh, well, what were like some of the bands on there, like the Blink One Eighty Two and stuff like that? Yeah, I think okay. I was uh, I actually embarrassingly enough one of my favorite songs to play on is an Ashley Simpson song. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> so I just just trying to see what type of a library they gave you with that uh, across the the pond there. Um, it, have you ever played Oenden and Oenden Two for that? No, with, I the, with the Japanese music. Oh, that's that's uh, that's that's how I like to play it. That's a blast. Sword of cheerleaders, isn't it? Uh, cheerleaders. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're more like cheerleaders. Yeah, you could say that. Uh huh. You could say I'd love that. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, I actually said um, when I play play Elite Agents with the guys in the black suits, 
And uh, it actually, when I saw some of your old videos, it did feel a bit like Trapdoor, the game. Yeah, that, the that, that's true. But it's, it's exactly the same in Japanese, except that uh, the, the music's a lot, uh, a lot different. And I love the music because, you know, I really don't know what they're saying. I mean, I, if, I, if I knew what they were saying, they might be saying, I like lambs, googie ga, poop, 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 dooby doo. And then maybe I wouldn't like it so much, but uh, yeah. But uh, I was going to say, this. Uh, Guitar Metallica is really good. I mean, the Guitar Hero games are pretty are fun to play. Like you know, yeah. There's uh, it's not only Metallica stuff on there. You got like stuff from like even Bob Seger and, and you got uh, the Foo Fighters and Judas Priest and all these different guest acts. Right. You know, so I'm, you know, if you have the PS2, you you can't do the downloadable content, but that's okay. It's still worth the buy. You probably could get it played- fairly inexpensive by now. Yeah, I got it for like 30 euro, you know. I mean, you okay. can play a bit of Tim Lazy. Everyone in Ireland will want to do that. Oh, there you go. I think that's about it for me at the moment. All right, um, man. Well, John, stay on the line. Don't say anything. And I'm going to bring you back in when we do our forum. The forum. Okay. So get ready for that. Stand by your buzzer. I will do Talk it. to you soon. Bye. Okay. Gaming. More What have I been playing? Well, there's no time to really explain. But I have been playing a little bit of PSP. A couple of portable titles. Not very much since last month. But I did uh, stick these in my in my little PSP collectible Buzz Brainbender. Well, if you want to be told you're stupid, who better to tell you than Buzz? Yes, Buzz has a mind-improving game. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Now, the first time you play it, you'll probably score awful. If you take the test right after you understand sort of the the tempo of this title, how it goes, you'll probably double your score immediately. And it's not necessarily because your brain isn't working that well. It's because you really don't know that you're already immersed in the game. You don't really don't know you're supposed to be pressing right away and stuff like that. And that's how it worked. You can also train your brain and then you of course take the test and buzz insults you. Now I am not crazy about the buzz character as you know, I love the Buzz game show, but that's more for the game show. I'm not crazy about Buzz, but I like the game show despite Buzz. And same with this Brain Bender. Uh, buzz warmed up a little bit on me, in fact, on this game, and I really recommend this as far as trying to get one of these brain improvement type of ditties. Now, I also played Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast for the PSP. Now, I know we'll hear a little bit more about this title, probably in the forum, the uh, dual topic forum to come. I'm just, I'm predicting, I have a feeling that we we may hear about this title. Now, this did come out in 2006, and this was a PS2 game. They also made a PSP version. Now, they used this game, the Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast, as a model for the Xbox Outrun Online Arcade that I'm so crazy about. And I went back and played Outrun Online Arcade for the Xbox 360. And let me just tell you, it is so fantastic. And the heart attack mode is very similar to what is going to be going on in this this PSP title. And the graphics are just so great on the 360. And the whole feel of that game, it is such a fun racing game. And such a true, true arcade racing style game. On the PSP, it's basically the same, except that you have like the PS1 style 
graphics going on, the 3D from the PS1, but there's still the fun, there's still the music, there's still uh, the excitement of it, and to spice it up, as I mentioned, the heart attack mode uh, of the new online version, there's several different little sub-challenges on your way from A to whatever letter it is, your 15 levels. You get to try to do drifting for a long time, and all the while that you're drifting, your girlfriend will be giving you the kisses. Or she'll say you get kisses every time that you pass somebody. So there's all these little mini-games to go along with each letter of your track. So it's really, really neat. I highly recommend picking it up, because i got to tell you, I don't really like playing a lot of polygon games on my PSP, especially like the Maddens and the things like this, and a lot of the racing games. They turn me off, just because my eyes just has become too sophisticated for the lack of polygons when it's not hidden well, when it's not rounded and hidden well and, and mapped and bitmapped and everything else to cover up the age of that, um, that polygon technology. This Outrun 2006, it worked for me. On the iPod Touch, we finally have a PP Monkey, one of the top-selling iPod, iPhone, iApps in Korea for a long, long-running time. It never worked on my version of the iPod Touch. I finally got PP Monkey Toilet Trainer. Let me tell you, not only is this fun, but it's only fun for a little while, and it can turn into a real money pit because they want you to buy colored and they want you to do all this, but you are a monkey, and you ha- you're going back and forth uh, across a, a toilet area, and your job is to tilt his wee-wee, his wee-weeer, to make sure that he's only peeing into the toilet and not onto the floor, and the floor will eventually fill up, and when it fills up above the electrical outlet socket, you get electrified and lights go out and the game's over. So it's a lot of fun, it's addicting, the free version, it's constantly nagging you to upgrade your PP to different types of toilet-trained monkeys and colored urine monkeys. Lots of monkey pee fun for you. Pocket God also came out with an underwater trident skewer update, so now you can dive underwater and get skewered by Poseidon's trident. Now the review you've all been waiting for, the reason that you downloaded this episode of We Talk Games, Nintendo DS Gardening Mama. Finally got to play my Gardening Mama, and I'll tell you, this is the deepest of the Mama games. Now you're not cooking, you're not cooking Mama 2, you're not cooking Mama 1, you are Gardening Mama, and this one really seems to alienate you if you are a dude, or if you are a woman that gets offended easily by some type of perhaps stereotypical lady thing, and I don't want to get too deep into that, but it really feel felt a little bit weird, although I really do like this title as far as the Mama games go. You really have to keep things balanced, because when you plant one flower, you're You plant that, you go through, you see how you do, maybe you did well, maybe you didn't. Now, it's going to pollinate. That flower's still going while you start on another flower. 
start another flower going, you do your planting, you do your digging, you do your watering, you got to keep your other flowers watered. So you could have two, three, four, five flowers the deeper and deeper you get into the game. And you have to keep all these flowers satisfied so that they finally you know, reproduce and do all this other business. So it's quite a deep uh, mama game as far as mama games go. And there's some online business, and if I'm still playing it next month, I'll tell you more about it. Also, I know we've been talking a lot lately about talk uh, point-and-click adventures, and this dia- Diabolic, the original Sin, or as it reads on the title screen, the original Diabolic Sin, is one in that, that style of genre. It really harkens back to many of the LucasArts-style games when they first started to try to get in a pseudo-3D walk-around point on a I'm trapped in a dungeon type of thing. It really had this feel, but I would really suggest that you rent this. I don't know too much about it. I didn't get too deep into it because it wasn't as good as, say, ICOM simulations beyond Shadowgate. It reminded me a lot of that, uh, but not as good and in a 3D form. I would rather play, go back and play the TurboGrafx CD version of Beyond Shadowgate, or you could get it for your Mac, and then I would be a lot more satisfied. But who knows? Maybe, maybe it gets deeper, maybe it gets better. To me, it was just a little bit of a mess because although you did click on the, the right thing, you didn't do it in the right order, you didn't have it equipped or something like this, so it wasn't all there, but nice attempt anyway. All right, man, now it's going to be a feature section. I still have uh, Kyle on the line. Kyle, are you still there? I am online. Yeah, we're going to just feature a brief uh, brief uh, review of what we saw from the E3. Now, we weren't there. Tommy was. Uh, yes. And uh, Walter was there. But you watched the entire Nintendo dissertation. I watched the entire Sony keynote. Yawn. Um, yeah, I don't know who got the shorter end of the stick on this one. Okay. So what did you see from Nintendo? Because I, I got to tell you, I, I watched the little bits that I could on the postage stamp Nintendo uh, video streamer that they have on the Wii. But yeah. how did you watch this? on Online or? Yeah, I watched a uh, live feed from Undetermined website. Oh, okay. And uh, through Ustream. Ah, and, gotcha. Um, it was great to watch it live. In fact, I came home from work on my lunch hour and just turned it on. And it just so happened to be the Nintendo keynotes. All right. So I watched it, and I saw a lot of things that I liked, and I saw a lot of things that I thought were, you know, I, I was watching going, oh, Nintendo, you're so silly. <laughs> and one of those moments were the um, the unveiling of the Nintendo Pulse Ox, or Vitality Meter, if you will. I thought that was just ridiculous. I have I, no idea what that is. Well, this is a little thing now. If you're familiar with hospital equipment, it's called the pulse ox. It clips onto your finger and it reads your pulse. Oh, okay. Oh, God. oh um, it, it, the reason I didn't know what you're talking about is because that's so absurd, like you mentioned. Okay, yeah, so exactly. now that's uh, you're going to plug so now, that into well, your Wii yeah. mode. So the president of Nintendo comes on and he says that you know, origi- <laughs> you know, first we help people train their brains, yeah. a la brain age, and then we help people to balance, a la the Wii balance board, and now we're going to help people to de-stress. Oh wow. This pulse ox. So it clips onto your finger, hooks up to your Wii remote, reads your pulse to well, the screen. I mean, I'm getting it. I'm getting it, but I'm still going to make fun of it. Because yeah. next is going to be the Wii they, isolation to be honest, they look, tank. It looks like the type of thing that may never come out. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Or it will come out in Japan and not here. I don't know. It probably will with the success of the Wii balance board. It just seems that the balance board at least had some sort of application to it. You know, with fitness and everything. I mean, it's big. It's big with moms. It's big with dudes and gals and everybody alike. 
I don't see how this is going to translate, but you know, I could be wrong. We were, you know, we were all making fun of the We Balance board too when it was about to come out. I, I can see this being big on Oprah and all the newagers. Yeah, probably. Sewage. I mean, the only application I think would be great with it is if um, somehow it was integrated into like a Zelda game or a Mario game, and as long as you were alive, the character was alive. <laughs> Other than that, I don't see uh, me being very interested in the uh, this thing. But yeah. it was funny because um, the president of Nintendo of Japan came on. And he said that, you know, we're aware that there are uh, 500 million active gamers. But what we're concerned about is the 800 million maybe gamers. And to me, again, it was one of those, oh, Nintendo, you're so silly moments. Because yeah. it's just like, what, what does that mean to the active gamers, the people who have played it since they were four, five, six years old? Yeah. What, we get it on the arm? You know, like... Yeah. I don't know. I just it didn't give me a good feeling. It, it made me feel like they were going to focus more on these sort of novelty projects. But again, they're on the top of the hill, so they have free realm to do whatever they want. True. I guess to counteract uh, that with this pulse ox, this Wii Vitality meter, they unveiled another Mario, a new Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. for the Wii, yep. which is like the new Super Mario Brothers for the DS, which is a great game. Uh, the only thing that bothered... Now, I have to just state my, my botheredness with this. Please. I just don't like how the the 3D Mario's fist uh, gets foreshortened so much when it's traveling such a small distance uh, to his forefront and Luigi's and anyone that punches up. That just bothers me, and that's all I want to say about it. Now, the rest of the game looks great. Looks like okay, a lot of people are going to be beamed in after they're left in the dust as you go along and i'm sure you'll explain more about that but um i'm 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 pretty excited about this game as am i and admittingly i was a little annoyed because when they were uh, approaching the subject they kept mentioning the number four so my mind went to a different place i was thinking like oh like mega man nine this will be super mario brothers four because they kept saying the number four. Well, yeah. the number four entails the number of players who can play simultaneously. So now up to four people can play at once on one screen, which looks chaotic and yeah. awesome at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's got this uh, 16 by 9 format, which is fantastic. That's I mean, great. I can't see this game being played any other way with that many people on the screen. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, again, a little disappointed because I was hoping for something grander. But they delivered because they're going to give us another Mario Galaxy 2, which that's yeah. fantastic. When's the last time on a console that we got more than just one Mario game? Right. The GameCube, we only had one. The Nintendo 64, we only had one. The Super Nintendo, we only had one. Unless you count, you know, Mario is missing. And no. then you obviously don't play Mario games. <laughs> yeah. Nevertheless, they also talked about a new um, Metroid game coming out, which I was excited about because it goes back to the roots of Metroid, um, that side-scrolling action. It looks like another one of these 2.5D games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look nice, but uh, again, it, until we see more of it, we're, we're judging it off of a keynote video. But True. at least it's interesting. The other thing no, that they mentioned no. was, uh, was the, the Metroid pack of all the uh, the Metroid Prime adventures being right. released as one one uh, game, and that's that's great for anyone who hasn't played that to get all of that that content because that's together. a lot of fun. You know, those games are a lot of fun, and they're they're overlooked a lot because they're not the traditional Metroid uh, game. You know, people want to say there's no first person shooters. It's not exactly your traditional first-person shooter. It's more of a first-person adventure, but you're going to have a good time with that. There's a lot of satisfaction to be found in those those titles. Definitely. 
Now, they, they didn't talk about this at the keynotes, but I read about this after the fact that Miyamoto with his roundtable, when Miyamoto was nowhere to be found during all of this okay, uh, for the keynotes, uh, during his roundtable, he also discussed that a new Zelda, no, not the spirit, not Zelda Choo Choo Train on the DS that they've been showing, an actual Zelda for the Wii is going to be coming out sometime. Who knows? So that's also very exciting. So I kind of, at the end of it, I kind of felt good that Nintendo was making a lot of smart choices because I remember back in, during the days of the 64, I'm like, why isn't there another Mario? Why isn't there another Punch-Out? And now it seems that they're maybe getting it. There's a lot of old IPs that I'd like to see visited again. Everybody's been clamoring for a new Kid Icarus. Yeah, Except when, me. If we'll ever see that, who knows? But there's a lot of characters yeah. in the Nintendo franchise that they can go back and really... Um, hook in their core audience again, at least Definitely. in my opinion. Yep. But overall, it was okay. It was an okay keynote. It had its boring moments. You know, the Wii Motion Plus was interesting. The Wii Play Resort looked cool. And the application that I saw for that was, please bring out Pilot Wings for the Wii. Oh, yeah. Give me Pilot Wings for the Wii because with the Wii Motion Plus, I can just see hang gliding being, you know, a lot of fun. That's just my opinion. Yep, yep. That's pretty much what I got out of the Nintendo keynotes. Well, the Sony keynote was uh, a lot of numbers. Now, did Nintendo do all the numbers about sales and sell-through? Yes, they they definitely were touting the fact that they were on top of everybody else. And they attributed that because they focused more on the maybe gamers. Which, uh, I mean, understandably so. I don't know if you saw the Sony Virtual Pet, but even that had me me uh, thinking that that might not be half bad. But they're, unfortunately, they're pushing it to like you know eight year olds, and that's sad to yeah. me because I love my Ibo. It has droopy head tr- syndrome, and it's it's a it's a shame to try to look at that thing now. It doesn't have any head. Actually, I'm waiting for heads to drop down to a more reasonable price under you know three hundred dollars. Right. Um, but this thing looks like it could be a virtual pet, and Sony's you know not bad at doing that. It, c- it could actually work. Light your house like a studio so their their camera's going to work is going to be the hardest part of getting that thing to work though i think I, I saw that that both microsoft and sony are coming out with these uh stereo cameras for well, some sort of motion capturing well i, I the, don't know the, here's the thing microsoft came out with their motion technique and all it does is follow your actions and immediately i thought Oh, you listen, I already have an activator, you know, right. <laughs> that act, that, that octagon that you set on the floor to try to play yep. Mortal Kombat on the your Sega, Genesis. Which worked wonderfully. <laughs> and by wonderfully, I mean not at all. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just like a giant U-Force. Horrible. But Sony's doing something right. You know, we're not at that technology where, where all the, the, the one-to-one things are going to happen. Although, you know, Microsoft is saying, oh, no, it is. But I saw the girl there trying to block shots, and, and it wasn't happening instantaneously. But Sony's using the, that light up ball with the different colors. They're doing right. pretty good. They have a magic wand that you use to interact with the with the uh, camera, and that yeah, looks like so it might actually a, work. Theirs is the one that recognizes color. Uh huh. Because yeah. I knew one of the two of them recognizes color. And it's the Sony one that. And I know the color work recognition works on the Sony gimmicks because the Ibo had a very good pink ball recognition, and then in the later Ibos, it could actually recognize multiple colors and see in color. It, so. 
here's what I don't understand. I understand that they're they're kind of trying to bite at the heels of Nintendo with this motion yeah. stuff. Both of these technologies look to me like they're they're just trying to to say, oh, you know, we could do this too. You don't know. You don't have to know how to use a a, a twelve button controller or a fourteen button controller to play our games. I just think it's it's trying to appeal to that. Um, I just think both those systems are too scary for that type of market. Um, you know, like soccer moms don't look at the Xbox and think it's very welcoming. Right. We is sleek. It's small. They already know that it's about fitness and getting in shape. Yeah. So they're going to flock to that. The Xbox is scary. You know, when they think of an Xbox, they're thinking first person shooters. You know, hardcore gamers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I don't I don't see much success for either of these cameras. Again, could be totally wrong. I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, it looks like they're just going to divide their markets up and and just you know saturate. But uh, who knows? It might be good. It might be good for gamers. It might be good for non-gamers. The problem with with this whole Sony presentation is is this is that every I'm I'm standing here right now looking at this. This is what it reminded me of. 11 14 1994 Jaguar demo tape. I remember having to send away for to Atari for this Jaguar demo tape. It contains a whole lot of demos of games that are coming out for the Jaguar, including some games that barely made it or didn't make it. Um, And this is like the best that the Jaguar could do at these E3s is show a videotape of games that might be coming out. And okay. and when I watched the keynote and the releases from the from Sony, most of the games were presented in this real flashy 3D After Effects or uh, probably Sony Vega uh, Vegas uh, Studio, you know, compositions, whatever Sony's that uh, thing that nobody uses, yes, yeah, yeah. whatever Sony's uh, suite is, and and what they did was they showed you like Pip. Picture-in-picture game footage of their games shown across a 3D world with three television screens going on to make it look like there's more going on or so that you can't really look deeply at this. It really reminded me of this Atari Jaguar demo tape. Uh, Bubsy, Double Dragon uh, 5, Fight for Life, Burnout, uh, Air Cars. Like smoke and mirrors, basically. Exactly. Flash a lot of stuff, they won't notice that none of this is going to work. And here's how desperate it was. When your game footage of your coming attraction at E3 has to feature a clip from Ice Age. You're yeah. in trouble. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. That, that I agree 100% with that. Makes me cry. Now, after watching the entire uh, business that they showed off, there's a lot of really neat looking things. I mean, the Gran Turismo for the PS3 just looks like, uh, like what you've been waiting for. But then, when it's all said and done, it's just one game. It's just a Gran Turismo game. Uh, and they also had a PSP version, which looked very amazing. Of course, they have new hardware, the uh, the PSP not widescreen edition that can fit in your pocket and has a slide-out keyboard. I guess that's their way of going against the iPhone. Um, and I don't see that. I see that going as about as well as anything else that tries to come out against the iPhone. You're uh, not rocking your Zune, is what you're saying? No, I am not. No. Whatever that thing's called. <laughs> yeah, the Zoom. Um, you know, it's a shame because Microsoft, uh, rather, Sony was so on top of it when they came out with the PlayStation, then later with the PlayStation 2. Yeah. I think they got too concerned about really pushing their Blu ray format mm. and not enough about the integrity of their game system. Yeah. That it's, I mean, they're still paying the price for it. And I don't know how, 
when they're ever going to get out of this funk. But and unfortunately, the, when, the the God of War demo was all choppy. Yeah, you know, I did see that. That's their flagship, and here is this chop mess. Uh, right. I, but it, it's no doubt that the PlayStation Three is a powerful system, and they can do a lot with it. It's just that it has, you know, the, the, they lost a lot of support. I mean, in America, if a Final Fantasy game is coming out on Microsoft, <laughs> Xbox, yeah. there's something wrong. Something yeah. happened yeah. along the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, hopefully they can get some exclusives back, but they'll just plug the letter X or an X1 or an X2 or a letter number combination that I haven't thought of, and they'll plug it on there and then it won't be exclusive any longer. Stay on the line, Kyle. I'm going to bring you back in for the forum. Just want to get my final thoughts on E3. Very good. All in all, I thought it was a very, very exciting E3 experience, especially on the Xbox. Xbox Live really did it right. Everything about Xbox Live had features about the E3. You get to go and see Paul and Ringo, not know what they were doing there. What an amazing... It was was so gripping to me when they came out. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. And then... They didn't deliver at all, and then you're like, oh boy, it's like the big FU. But everything about Xbox and Microsoft, they did it all right. They did it all right. They got the player involved, and that was amazing. I went over to the Wii. Even the Wii had E3 updates. Now it was in their, like I mentioned, their little postage stamp streamer from the, from the Wii channel. But still, they tried to get people excited and, and had a little bit of coverage of E3. So as soon as I saw the Xbox Live, all that content on there, I said, man, I'm going on my PS3. I'm going to go on my PS3 and check it all out. Check it all out. I went there. I went to new releases. And, you know, it was like the eighth season of Scrubs. That's what I had to look at. I was like, what the hell? So I went to, to free video downloads. Nothing in there. Nothing in there. And, you know, the the... The PlayStation Store is all kind of... It's not the best store. They need to really rework this store. It wasn't until three days after E3 had ended that I realized that the PlayStation Store had a little E3 specific banner on the left-hand side, and that's where all the E3 coverage was. And they had a a new Pulse or whatever their, uh, their free gimmick is. They had two of those. But I didn't even see that because it wasn't at top. It wasn't under new releases. It wasn't under free video content. They needed to put multiple links in there so that someone going to the store, they're not going to scroll down to look at, you know, for something that says E3 on the left-hand side. It, it wasn't It wasn't bold. It wasn't lit up. It wasn't glowing or anything else. So I didn't even know they had some type of coverage of E3, and that was the only thing that disappointed me uh, about the whole E3. I, I thought it, it was a very, very, very exciting E3. Even even if the, the products didn't deliver, certainly there was a lot of hoopla about the whole event. All right, everybody, it's that time of the show where uh, we uh, we unmute the uh, the gang that's still been on hold the entire show. How you doing out there, gang? Pretty good. Oh, fantastic. Okay, very good, yeah. Johnny Capcom, this is the panel portion of the show. Johnny Capcom's on the panel. Uh, Kyle Von Kubik is here. Hello. Uh, and we also, in the studio, Stinky the Game Master is here. Stinky. Hi. All right, Stinky. And now, uh, for this first ever, the inauguration of our panel section of the show, we have T.T. Schmootkins. She will be taking the uh, minutes of this, this show here Moon today. Patrol. Moon Patrol? 
No, you're not supposed to read what I'm going to drop in, TT. I am prepared. Okay, very good, TT. Very good. Okay, so uh, first of all, the first question uh, for today's panel and posed to the the panel will be, uh, since we're on the topic of music, what game... (laughs) TT. Wow. What? I... All right, uh... Now I, I lost my sheet of paper. Hold on. Let me regain my composure. We're being recorded on a wax cylinder, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good. Mary had a little lamb. Okay. Uh, since, we're on a, since we're on music today, what, uh, oh God. what games feature music that you love to listen to? Uh, and who should we start first? with first? Uh, yeah, let's start with you, John. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, well, with me, I um, have written down a couple here that are redundant. Uh, first one, I'm not sure if a lot of people played this game. Actually, it's coming out on Xbox Live, I think. Um, the X- Outrun uh, 2006 Coast to Coast. Wait, what was it? Hold on. TT just... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Don't type this, TT. 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 Is there a switch we could hit with TT or a TT. plug? Or? Yeah. She's a computer, yet she has to use a, a analog typewriter. Go on the other side of the room and do that. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. That's uh, okay. It's ridiculous. But uh, I don't know if I'd ever used to play this, but it's, uh, I, it's called Outrun 2. It's called Outrun whatever, but it's Outrun 2006, Coast to Coast is the version I have. Yeah. And it's basically, it's got the remixed uh, Outrun music from the Mega Drive and Arcade, and it's just so gorgeous and goofy and I love it I, I mean like I just wish it was on CD so I could like listen to it when I drive around and stuff but I'm I sure love you it. could find it yeah you know and you could you could probably outlo- uh, uh, unlock some extra songs in there I don't know if that's uh, true I just I probably just made that up <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah you can get the um, the original 16 bit versions and stuff and but, I think uh, you can unlock oh I'm thinking you know what I'm thinking of Daytona you could unlock like uh, the the space harrier theme and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah, by putting in putting in the high score as a special special name. Oh, all right. Game fact that up, and you'll fact yourself. Now, uh, <laughs> is that is that your favorite? That's all you got for favorite music? No, I love you know Gunstar Heroes and the Genesis. Yeah. Just, I'm not crazy about the music in the game, but you know when the menu comes up. <laughs> the menu put music. The game in? Yeah. yeah, the menu music is freaking awesome. I love it. Okay. And, um, just the Resident Evil music, and have uh, you ever played Darius uh, G for the arcade? Yeah, no. That's the Polygon Darius. Yeah, with the giant fish uh-huh. and all that. It's also available yeah, it's, for the PlayStation One. It's got really nice, like uh, some girls singing about closing your head and closing your eyes, and it's just it's very very nice. Um, I'm also a big fan of the Zelda music, but I think yeah, I think, this, that, that goes without saying. I mean, Zelda. Uh, Mario, Final Fantasy, they really are like the three sort of like, you gotta mention them, but you it really is worthless going into because every Everyone game, knows. or just about every game to come out from those franchises has beautiful music. Yeah. I, you know, those aren't on any, those aren't on my list at all, so. Oh, good. It just shows what type of gamer I am right there. Well, I'm hoping you'll you'll have something off of like uh, TurboGrafx-16 or Sega Master System because I couldn't think of anything off of them, and I okay. wanted to, I just couldn't remember anything. Yeah, I definitely have off the Turbo. Uh, is that it, John? 
Um, I think um, yes, but I was, was going to say um, one of my all-time favorite game music experiences when it was I was in my local uh, video place just looking for DVDs to buy, and the uh, hallway music from Resident Evil Two came on my iPod. And for some reason, I just got really scared, and I didn't know why. <laughs> and you put down your purchases, and you you made your exit. Yeah, oh, I just had to switch over to something happier, you know. I was, uh, <laughs> it's just it's weird, and I, like I I like to like leave music on while I try to get to sleep, and I had to take it off because every now and then it come on and just creep the crap out of me when I'm laying there in the dark. Very good. Very that good. creepy piano. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. That's, that's good. What do you got for us, Kyle? Well, for me, I, I was trying to think of um, uh, how music added to games, and for me, it was all about atmosphere. Okay. And uh, the first game that popped, in, popped into my head as far as atmosphere being built through the music was Metroid. Just the minimalistic nature of the soundtrack within that game really lent itself to uh, being alone, isolation, I think the music in that game did a really good job of conveying that because I think if any other type of music was in there, it kind of would have taken the legs out from under it as far as the atmosphere of the game was concerned. And it was only trumped by Super Metroid, which also had a fantastic soundtrack. Other games that came to mind, I mean, I know they're not on your list, but Final Fantasy VII is not my favorite Final Fantasy, but for me, the music in that was better than anything prior mainly because it was on a CD so you get a better quality of sound and it was very epic the soundtrack I really liked it it lent itself to the atmosphere one of the earlier games that I thought of too about music was uh, Dig Dug um, just for the novelty of the music would stop if you stop yeah yeah and for some reason I never got tired of hearing that you know, you know, music yep, yep. when you were playing. So, and again, it kind of lent itself too to the atmosphere of feeling tense and uh, feeling rushed. So, those type of things came to mind. That's true. Yeah, um, I, I had I originally had Popeye on my list too, just because it's hard to get some of those tunes out of your head. Some of those early tunes. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Like a game like Bust a Move, I believe only has one sound like song in it. Uh, oh. But in, to me, it never got tiring to hear that one song. But on the flip side of that, there were plenty of games that came out for the Nintendo. Now, wait, really when you say Bust games. Move, uh, you mean uh, the Bubble Bubble Bobble Bust Move? The Bubble Bobble Puzzle okay, Game. Okay, okay, very good. The, yeah, 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 not sorry. Bust the Groove. Ah, which right. The, which was called uh, Bust a Move in Japan. So. That yeah. one did have gorgeous music on it, the uh, Bust a Move. Are you talking about the arcade version? No, or? Yes, the arcade Neo Geo version. Oh, um, definitely, yeah. It, it, a lot of the Neo Geo games too had great music. I mean, I remember playing Metal Slug in the arcade and just being blown away with the music because it was like that. Uh, again, leading like lending itself to the atmosphere. It's a good marriage between the visuals and and the auditory mm-hmm. to really make the game good. I think the music is often taken for granted, you know. But when you when there's bad music in a game, you notice it. You know it. You yeah. right away. You know it. Like. Um, for instance, the Ghostbusters game on the NES. <laughs> that I, I don't recall playing that, thankfully. Uh, good. Good yeah. for you. That is a big pass. Okay, very good. But, uh, yeah, those were some of the games that came to mind. Another game that came to mind, maybe the, one of the two of you can help me, were, um, was this polygon... It's a sh- shoot-em-up, a shmup, if you will. Vertical shoot-em-up for the PlayStation 1. I know that doesn't really narrow it down. Einhander? What was it? Einhander? Yes, that is the game. 
I believe that is the game. I like the music in that game. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just you like your Tekken. Tekken, the the uh, the shooter. <laughs> yeah, that shooter. It's great. If, if, it's if it was Einhander, you, you like start out going through a city and you're up. You yes. Know, okay, very well. You do that in a lot of other shooters as well. But I, I that was that had pretty good music, so that that's what came to mind. Yeah. Uh, for me, I will start back in the day, uh, start on an old Z80 system. Uh, Irem's Moon Patrol. I love the music to that. I love to jump my my moon buggy to that music. Um, carrying it on, uh, a remake of a, of a game, Tempest 2000, of course. I loved the That's cartridge. That's a great pick. And the cartridge music is the I mean I, I have the the CD soundtrack that came with it um, now I don't that's a thing now Jeff Mittner that was sort of his whole baby but I'm not sure if different artists did the uh, oh and it was Ian Howe Alistair Lindsay and just off the top of my head uh, Kevin Seville I think was in there and just off the top of my head the Image Tech Design Incorporated, AK Dreamweavers, uh, also created music for Jeff Mittner's Defender 2000 and on the Atari Jaguar. The music was composed in the Commodore Amiga mod music file format, although no non-Jaguar release of the game play. I'm going to have to start playing TT's uh, typewriter sound again. I yeah, I think so. This is going down the <laughs> toilet. That's why I had it, most of the jokes out of uh, John's interview before. Now, uh, so I, I love the cartridge music, and then when it when it made its way to the uh, to the CD and Red Book Audio and whatever sounds they decided to use to recreate that, that more PCM stuff, uh, I think it lost a little bit of its... Uh, the, the, the real ass-kicking uh, cartridge sound that it had. Uh, the the t- only turbo entry here with turbo and PC engine, it would be Bonk's Adventure. Something about the original music is sad to me, and there's this, uh, both in the game theme, and uh, the main theme, and the game ending. It just has a weird reverb on it, and the, the turbo itself without the CD wasn't necessarily known for its sound. Uh, although you know that's uh, debatable, that, that doesn't stop some of the some of the games from having great music. It's just that you know it wasn't real beefy, beefy sound system. It, it beat out the NES, and that's all it needed to do. And and it was stereo, uh, so that was another thing when the turbo came out. Although you needed the special adapter in the back, uh, and same goes for the core system. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the Nintendo and sad music, I mean, in, in fear of being called a baby, all right? Yeah. Uh, a game that was actually, it had great music, come to think of it now, uh, out of Capcom, was the DuckTales game. Oh. When you're, I don't know if you remember, but when you're in the, on the moon or in a space station or something, I remember that music just being very good. I, the Mega Man series had great music, and basically the DuckTales series was just a clone of the Mega Man series. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, or yeah. Sure, That had gotcha. really good music. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the 8-bit type of music to begin with. Uh, I, th- I don't think there's any really good music. I don't think there's any shame in liking the Capcom Disney licenses like the Chip and Dale and stuff like Rescue Rangers and all that business. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, very good. Close fist, I crap crap. Uh, I'm a man. What were you saying, John? Who gives a crap who's in the game as long as it's good like, you know? Yeah, that's true. And as long as it's not Tailspin or uh, Duck... What was that? What was that crazy Crusader Duck? 
Um, Darkwing Duck. Darkwing yes. Duck. Those yes, two games for the it. Turbo were horrible. I don't know why. Well, I know why. I guess I know why TTI uh, licensed those because they thought, oh, Disney license this might save the Turbo from going in the toilet, but it didn't. They were they were awful, horrible games. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, in the Box Adventure theme, the Japanese PC uh, PC Caveman Two, which I bring up constantly because of the the fact that you change into the Cave Woman on the second power up. Uh, but I, I also want to mention that that one, another reason to get the Japanese version of PC Caveman 2 instead of the um, American version, the American version cut the draw PC Genjin Bonk karaoke sing-along with Bonk ending that was in the original Japanese version. Yep. And now, my, but my favorite, my favorite, favorite, favorite all-time music for any game, and that's saying a lot, because I like a lot. I mean, I'm sure there's probably things that we've all forgotten. But it has to be for Cho and uh, Aniki uh, for the PlayStation 1. Cho and Aniki, along uh, one of the games in the Super Big Brother franchise of, of wacky Japanese shooters only available in Japan. This one r- roughly translated the ultimate invincible most galactically powerful man. Uh, you will know this one because the, your first boss is going to be you're going to be f- fighting a balding um, a giant balding man's mechanical junk. His, oh, very good. His mechanical hoo-hoo will come out and fire various uh, stages of uh, missiles at you. Uh, nice. This is by uh, by Koji Hayama. Uh, Koji Hayama, now you see, here's another guy. 1965 uh, is when he was born. I was born in 66. Tommy was uh, 68, 69, somewhere around there. He also did the, the music for another TurboGrafx uh, franchise, which is uh, Shubi Beeman. Uh, Shubi Bean Man, which I can never say. Shubi Booby Booby Boo Man, that's what I used to call it. Uh, two and three. Two was on a cartridge, three was on the, um, the CD. And that you will know those as the Mega Man type of formula games. And he okay. did the music for those. I remember Shock Man. Yes! Not that's, very good. That's what it was called in the, in the States. But the music yes. was great! Because I want to get him uh, on the show! <laughs> Real quick, how the F did we forget about Ico and Shadow of the Colossus? Oh, because it's more atmospheric, I think. You, you yeah, I never played them. Again, oh, really? Yeah. You must. You must. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I just. Nah. I, I think that goes back to the minimalistic sort of. Like I don't, I don't know. How Those can how beautiful. can no one rec- how can no one have mentioned Alien versus Predator for the Atari Jaguar? Uh, easily. All music. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, type that one up, TT. All right. What else we got? My favorite song is a uh, poo poo pee pee. <laughs> oh my gosh. Poo poo pee pee, huh? What game is that from? Uh, it's from my pants. <laughs> Get out of here! Get out of here! Stinky! Oh my gosh. Awful. Don't type that, uh, TT. Stinky is always a solid contributor to this. Oh my case. god. Go down to basement! Bringing the thunder. Cripes. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, next question. 
now I'm in a now I'm in a bad mood. Okay, uh, what what are some of your first gaming memories? Some people might know mine, but uh, no one knows yours, and we definitely will never know Stinky's because of his little uh, yellow and brown stunt there. Um, <laughs> how does Stinky know the difference between the front of his underwear and the back of his underwear? Yellow in front, bound and brown and back. Yeah, thanks for ruining. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Next, don't type that TT. Okay. So, gaming memories. I'll start. Okay, good. Uh, as many people know, the first video game system I purchased for myself was when I had a job in 1983. Uh, or no, I, in 1983 or 84 at the at the Kmart, at the Bethlehem Kmart, and I got myself an Atari. Uh, uh, 5200 5200 play Pac-Man and Kangaroo those are my first memories my first memories are of course uh, much earlier than that in the, in the 70s and that was of course Pong now I had two types of Pong I was fortunate enough to have two versions of Pong and uh, one was Magnavox Pong and the other one was an off brand which I cannot recall it may have been Telestar or Telstar and both of them had gun uh, attachments. The Telstar one had just a standard pistol, the plastic pistol. No, I'm sorry, the Magnavox had the standard pistol. And then the other one had this gimmick where you could turn it into a rifle or a pistol. And I just thought that was amazing. And they had like, you know, you might say, well, how do you play Pong with a and hockey and and the game on there I can never pronounce, Highlige, Highlige. Um, are you with me, fellas? Oh, I'm here. I'm okay. Here. Uh, and uh, I never knew how to pronounce that as a kid. July, July. I didn't know how to play it. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Uh, they both had skeet, skeet. Uh, so you could do skeet, and that's what you use the light gun for. And I always got the highest score because I figured out that if you pointed the light gun at a light yep. bulb, uh, then you would win. So, Just like the Nintendo Zapper. And before that, I did have the Sega Nintendo dual-release little cowboy uh, that was an actual physical cowboy toy that had strings inside them that pulled taut, would stand the cowboy up, and you turned him on, you had a light gun with that, and he had yes. a little uh, little uh, receiver on his, uh, on his uh, chest there, and when you shot him, he'd fall down. So I had I that. I believe so. uh, Gunpai uh, Yokoi, the guy we were talking about last episode, yep. um, developed that for Nintendo. He did. And, it's a, and then Sega, in their usual fashion, uh, copied it. <laughs> well, it, it. it was actually a dual release by Sega, a joint release by Sega and Nintendo. So it wasn't, it, it, or maybe you know a different story, but the story no, I know. No, I don't. I was, was just okay. being yeah, but Sega conjecture. said their uh, cobalt would fall faster. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, that, it had that, a blast processor in it. Yeah, it was actually a dual release before they got into a gaming war. But Nintendo was still a, uh, you know, a, a, a playing card uh, company, I believe, at gotcha. the time. So, so, uh, so, yeah. Hit me with you, young kids. I know you're not going to be talking about this. 1970s. You probably weren't even born in the 70s, were you? Not even a thought. Okay. Not well, let, yeah. Let's go with you, uh, Kyle. Next, what do you got? I had the privilege of having very progressive parents. So before I was even born, my father had an Atari uh, 2600, I believe, if okay. that's one of those numbers. Yes. And he also had a dedicated Pong machine. And he also had a um, stand-up, coin-operated centipede game. Wow. So at a very young age, I have these memories of standing next to my father watching him play centipede while standing on, I guess, a stool or milk crates or something. Yep, yep. And um, just being... Dream blown away that's true and it, 
And uh, a lot of my earlier memories are just playing games with my dad at uh, like four and five years old and playing um, Defender and playing uh, Adventure. I remember Adventure being one of my favorite games as a kid. You know, your little box and you grab the arrow and you stab the duck in the face and you try to find the key and bring it back to get the trophy and whatnot for the Atari. Yeah. Um, I also remember playing, um, I don't know, later on we got a Nintendo and all the memories that went along with that. But yeah, some of my earliest memories were uh, playing with my dad, playing Pong, playing Centipede. You know, playing Atari. So yeah, those were those are my earlier memories of gaming as a child. You bring up the arcades, and I did that with my father as well. In fact, we would drive from here up to the Poconos, the Borscht Belt, and the Catskills, and things like this. We drive all the way up there to see Shecky Green. No, we just drive up there to see to play video games in the arcade because that was like really the only arcades in the very very early. I'm talking about like um, you know Pong and. And then Asteroids finally came right. in. But before Asteroids even, we would drive to these arcades to play pinball and, and play the, the very few um, uh, arcade games that were there. Yeah, same. I uh, mean, I remember going to uh, Nathan's, and they had a whole arcade set up at Nathan's. And my dad and I would play um, Golden Axe and Rampage. Ah, great, great. Until, you know, for hours, yeah. you just dump a ton of money into those two cabinets, yeah. you know, because they're multiplayer and sure. there's a lot of stuff going on on the screen, they're fun to look at. So, yeah, th- those are my early uh, arcade memories. What do you got there, Were either of you two guys uh, like like me when I was a kid and you'd go up to an arcade game that had a, a track screen on and you didn't have any money, so you pretended you were playing the track screen? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> and like the like the older kids would come up to you and like try and punch you away from the machine because you just you, yes. you you're just trying to convince them you're getting high score. I really wasn't so allowed to do that. The logo with the winners don't use drugs is still burned into my mind. That's funny, but you know what? That brings up a, a, another fine thing for for uh, for people that are incredibly old, like and decrepit, like I am. Before video games, as well, and I, I might have brought, I might have talked about this before. There was a quarter. Uh, amusement game and this was at the grants which was uh, um, a a department store they had a a place inside called the bradford house where you would eat and um, there was a helicopter a physical toy helicopter inside of a glass case and you put a quarter in and you can control it um, from the outside and your goal was to go around and and touch this twanger um, this electronic twanger to whatever other twangers were lit around the circumference of where this helicopter could fly. So that that's another early, early memory of video games. You they, spoke about Popeye before. I remember a coin-operated puppet of Popeye. He dropped a quarter in, and then um, I guess the Popeye theme would play or some sort of music would and play. And he'd dance around, marionettes. And you'd hit the buttons to make him dance, like lift your right arm, lift your left arm, you know, wiggle your mouth and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Good those stuff. were all lost now. All those mechanical... I guess they were just mechanical toys, really. They weren't yeah. even so much games. Yeah, some of them were games. and of Yeah, course. no, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just remembering. Yeah. Okay, John, we didn't we didn't let you in. Uh, you're, you're playing the attract screens. That's what you got. That's your earliest Oh, uh, well, that, well, that was just something. That was a, an add-on there. But uh, if you want to talk about my first memories, uh, one of them would be playing my cousin Paul's American NES with... Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, which was a big deal because Super Mario Brothers 3 hadn't come out in Europe at the time. Ah. So I plagued him. I was up at his house all the time just playing this game, and nobody believed me that <laughs> I was playing it. 
Because, I mean, it came out in, like, 1993 or 4 or here, like, Mario 3 did. just I took see. ages. Like, uh Wow. Well, I, I remember there was a big, big hoopla. I mean, Toy Story riots and everything for two and for three. So yeah, that was that was a big, big deal here. I could only imagine getting it, uh, you know, months before. You remember those commercials ago. with the uh, like millions of kids standing outside chanting Mario? Yeah, Mario, and then they, and then they form a, a giant Mario head or something. Yes, on Earth, that was very, very good. I even remember the toys from the fast food joints. Wow, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, they 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 definitely had uh, some cross promotions either with Burger King or McDonald's or something like this. I see. But uh, there were all these you know cheesy little plastic toys, and I, I had a few. I just don't know where they are. I was on to the Neo Geo by the time that stuff was rolling around. Yeah. I think, or that might have been a little <laughs> well, right around the time. I think so. All right, yeah. fellas, is that, is that all you remember then, John? Those are no, your, no. Uh, oh, I was yeah. going to say, um, I remember renting a Game Boy. When I was a kid as well, uh-huh. like, I'm not sure if he can do that anymore. But like we used to be able to rent consoles and just playing Tetris for hours and hours and hours and like reading the back of the box, wondering what it'd be like to play Super Mario Land. And it was just the mystery Broken. was still there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, another thing was, and this is just a weird thing. I remember I did. I had a Master System. I didn't have an NES. So I remember looking at the box for Mega Man and just being transfixed. And I, I was just, I could, I used to just wonder what it would be like to play a game with a name that amazing. I still do that now. Look at the back of my my console boxes when I get them, and and think about what it what it might be like to play some of the titles that they show, you know, one screenshot teasers on there. I remember the same thing. I used to uh, rip out pages from. Um EGM or mm-hmm. Nintendo Power, yeah. and put them up on my wall and be like, "I'm going to get this game," when whatever it was. That's yeah. what I did with my Neo Geo. I had I had uh, Magician Lord, I had the golf, I had the baseball, uh, and Nam all up on uh, all cut out of uh, EGM. And in fact, I did that with the Conic system. And for years, I thought that I I just you know was never going to be able to get one. And then thankfully, I realized it never came out. That was a, that was a UK system, the Conics. There's a great couple of magazines, actually. One of them was called uh, Computer and Video Games Magazine. I don't know if he's got an import over there, but another one. They were just a really great uh, monthly video game magazine. And uh, they were published by the same house as the Sega Saturn magazine that came out around the same time. And I didn't own a Saturn. I didn't know anyone with a Saturn. But I bought that magazine so I could just look at the pictures of these games that I'd never play. You know? Yeah, yeah. And the magazines back then were fantastic. There was just some really, really good ones coming out of England this time. Well, you know, now it's sort of ruined by the internet. And yeah. Thanks, everybody, for being part of the first We Talk Games uh, Forum, uh, Volume 2. Cool. We'll talk you. to you next month. All right. Bye. Bye. And it's just in time. Let's open the phone lines. This is exciting. This is a guy I wanted to talk to all week. Let's get him on the horn. Open, Open the lines, Keith. The man in the middle, the keeper of the scores, on the phone, Walter Day. Walter, Northwest Pinball and Game Room Show, Seattle Center, go. Wow, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I understand that this is really the, only the second year that there's been video games and pinball brought together in this in the city of Seattle in a way like we have here. Uh, I think they're going to have almost 300 games here in the course of this weekend, which is uh, essentially June 12th to 14th, 2009. I'm surrounded by Defender and Pac-Man and Missile Command. And then out here in the other room, it's like 130 or 40 pinball machines. And these guys are coming from all over the nation, not just to play the games, but to all 
also go for world records. We have champions from the Brooklyn, from L.A., from um, Florida here to try and break world records, standing world records on a lot of these old classic games. So it's a pretty big deal. That's amazing. And, and you know, pinball and, and video games, I mean, that's what arcade games, that's what really goes together. So it's nice that uh, this type of event is happening. Exactly, exactly, because people want to get back in touch with their roots, back in touch with their childhood. It's a tremendous thing of nostalgia. At the same time, it's being fueled by a modern phenomena of highly competitive gaming superstars going after the classic world records. I mean, the classic world records are becoming a big deal. They're probably going to continue to become a big deal, so that I wouldn't be surprised if someday, 150 years from now, on CNN, they suddenly announce that George Smith of Cleveland, Ohio, just broke the hundred-year-old world record on Donkey Kong after practicing for 60 years, something like that. That will be amazing. A true testament, I think. Now, you're the subject of, like, what, three movies now, I think it is? Oh, Twin Galaxies is in Chasing Ghosts, The King of Kong, Frag. They're going to do a remake of The King of Kong with uh, actually movie stars in it. Allegedly, Robin Williams might play me, which is pretty funny. And uh, it would all be about Twin Galaxies and the champions. And uh, there's even another one being made about the, the Nibbler record that we uh, monitored back in 1984 when a person got the first billion points on a game. So Twin Galaxies is quite well known in the big silver screen. In what capacity are you at this uh, Seattle Center? Well, I'm here as sort of an honored guest myself, where I'm going to be doing an induction ceremony. We're, we're going to be crowning people, inducting them into the International Video Game Hall of Fame, which is the, the Hall of Fame that people may have heard about in the news, because it's going to be opened up in Ottumwa, Iowa. There is an International Video Game Hall of Fame slated to be opened up in Ottumwa, Iowa, which calls itself the video game capital of the world, because of some of the more, some of the basic seminal things that happened there in Ottumwa, Iowa, 25 years ago. It was considered the video game capital of the world 25 years ago. They're capitalizing on that now by trying to open up the video game Hall of Fame. You know, the official one for the industry, just like the thing in Cleveland is the official Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, that's that's truly amazing that it's come this far, and it's so uh, all-encompassing. I mean, video games are really a part of society, of the whole world even, not just uh, locally. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when we support, uh, when we support this big phenomena of game playing and going for world records, uh, we find ourselves called on to not just adjudicate or judge scores on old classic games like Missile Commander Donkey Kong. We're dealing right in the forefront also of Guitar Hero and Rock Band 2 and the Nintendo Wii uh, games. And uh, so we are completely there right in the middle of the modern era of game playing as well as the older era of game playing too. So the big phenomena. There's probably, I think there maybe could be as many as a billion people now playing games. That's why I love doing this show as well. Now, I, I heard that Steve Wiebe was supposed to make an appearance there as well. Is he going to be there in any capacity? Oh, yeah. Steve Wiebe will be here. He'll be going for the world record. Okay. Now, he also did that at E3. You attended E3 as well? Yeah, he was at E3 as well trying to go for the world record. Essentially, he did, he did pretty good. It was a crowd-pleasing performance. But he fell about 50, 60, 70,000 points short of the world record. So he still has to try again. He has to point press 
while staying alive and not losing his men. And so that's a very hard thing to do because when you point press, when you point press, you essentially lose your men. When you point press, uh, it makes you vulnerable, and it's an endangered thing. Sure, sure. I I, I can appreciate that from watching uh, all the documentaries and whatnot. Uh, now, so currently, Billy Mitchell, I guess, is still the Donkey Kong uh, champion. Oh, yeah. He's the Donkey Kong champion, and Steve Weeby's in second place. But then a whole bunch of other people are behind him, too. And so uh, a lot more people are learning how to play Donkey Kong, and are going to be challenging those two people for the uh, for the high score record on Donkey Kong. So it's quite a thing. Yeah, a lot quite of a people thing. up in the 800,000 range, so that's really good, good to see. Uh, now, Steve Weeby, I guess, still holds it in uh, Donkey Kong Jr., that's right. Steve Weeby is the Donkey Kong Junior World Record holder, and we're going to give him a special certificate on that. Fantastic. And uh, now, I heard rumors about Popeye. Now, I didn't know he played Popeye. Who plays Popeye? I heard that Steve, Steve Weeby did, but I, I'd i like to know who the champ of Popeye is, because that's one of my favorite games. Or Steve Harris is the champion of Popeye. Steve uh. Harris was the guy who founded Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine, and who recently has bought back the rights to EGM magazine. Well, that's great because I, I hope to have him on a show very soon. So that, that'll that be nice to talk about, uh, about Steve, Popeye uh, with him. You know Steve Harris? Oh, Steve Harris is a great guy. Good, in good. fact, uh, I think he'd like to go on your show eventually. That'd be fantastic. Uh, now, what's your favorite game right now? Do you have any favorites at this time? or? Well, you know, I'm so busy doing uh, uh, Twin Galaxies and running it that I have never had a chance in years to really play much much gaming. I simply don't have the time to play. Sure, it's sure. Just, Are there any that you, you enjoy watching? Uh, well, I like watching Missile Command. I like watching Donkey Kong. But I like all the modern games, too. I love the Nintendo Wii stuff. It's so much fun to watch. Everything's fascinating. Yeah. Game playing is a, a miracle to watch good, great game players play the game. You know, I was thinking, when Steve gets in there, you and Steve should get together and like try to do a little bit of White Stripes drums and guitar number, maybe entertain the crowd with that. Well, that'd be interesting. <laughs> that'd be interesting. He's not uh, a bad drummer. Oh, no, he's a pretty good drummer, I understand. People yeah. heard the drumming said that he's a good drummer. Yeah, and you're very talented at uh, singing songwriting, so I'd love to see that happen one day. That's a kind remark. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All-star uh, video game band review. Well, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be interesting. <laughs> Having uh, us play drums and sing or what have you. This uh, piano with drum playing, uh, my guitar strumming. Uh, yeah, who knows what could happen someday. Maybe the, the video game champs. Maybe a band called the Video Game Champs of the World or something. I don't know. <laughs> be, but, I'd buy that album. That'd be great. But a lot of the video game champions are very creative people, and they do a lot of different other things, too. True, true. So so it's not uncommon for people like Steve Weeby to pop up. All right, Walter. Anything else that you want to leave the people with? Anybody um, who's going to be... Anybody who'd like to see the official International Video Game Hall of Fame, they should be thinking about going to Ottumwa, Iowa. Believe it or not, that small town of Ottumwa, Iowa is going to be the place where probably the official International Video Game Hall of Fame is created and launched. And that will be very interesting. In fact, if anybody out there has games that they don't want, they could even donate them to the museum. They could even donate to the, to the museum. Oh, great. Like so, uh, classic games so, uh, and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Some people might have even stand-up arcade games that they would like to donate. Because, it, of course, it will be a nonprofit thing that you get your tax statement from that says you've donated a, a certain amount of value. And, uh, but essentially, it's going to be... Uh, 
uh, it's all these started accepting donations. And you know who the first person was to donate cash? It was Billy Mitchell, the famous Donkey Kong player. He, uh, he gave the first donation over the phone to them with his credit card probably about two days ago. And that's so uh, he started the ball rolling. So that's very interesting. Well, now people have another reason to go to the River of Opportunity uh, in Iowa. Right. I hey. like that. The River of Opportunity. The River of Video Game Fame and uh, whatever. Yeah, the River Raid of Opportunity. There you go. Hey, thanks, Walter Day. Thanks for being a part of We Talk Games. Thanks for bringing us the cutting-edge information from the Game Room Show in Seattle Center, Seattle. Well, I'm honored, and I hope people come and I get to meet them. Right on. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye-bye, Wow, Walter Day. Walter Day, what an amazing fella. I, I didn't want to keep him on too long there. He was borrowing a cell phone and, and uh, you know, of course, calling right from the, the showroom floor. But I hope to get him on in the future. What an amazing guy. Spent most of his life uh, getting other people over. I mean, almost the majority of his life. That's what he's been doing, promoting other people, helping bring them to us. There's a lot of interesting story there. Of course there is. There's, there's several movies that feature Walt and feature, of course, Twin Galaxies. TwinGalaxies.com to find out more about Walter Day and everything that he's involved with and has helped build. Um, and, and just an amazing guy. I can't say enough nice things about him. It's been, it's been a true pleasure. No idea why I put the PS3 review at the end of the show, but I guess I just didn't have time to fit it in anywhere else. So here it is, and don't worry, it will probably be shorter than the theme song for the PS3 section of the show. What have I been playing for the PS3? Well, you know what I've been playing. I beat Wolverine, the or X-Men Origins Wolverine. And let me tell you, it was a good game. Just like I mentioned last time, it was good. I was glad that I found the extra costumes, unlocked those, that made the game a lot more enjoyable. I don't know if I could have made it through. And i, I got to tell you, I can't remember the last time I beat a game. So it was kind of neat that I was able to actually complete a game with such limited time. So I'm very happy about that. I mean, I stayed up late at night, and it was a good ride. But I, I've traded it in since uh, since purchasing it. I mean, I purchased it just to review on a show. I felt, you know what, it would be nice if I could review a new game for the We Talk Game Shows. And that's what I did. And now I'll roll it over. I'll keep rolling it over, rolling it over. Uh, and this will help offset the cost of trying to review new games. Traded it up for um, the infamous... And I can't wait to review that on next month's show. I started banging away a little bit, but it didn't get very far. And I tell you what, Wolverine, I won't miss it. Thank you, everyone, for making this We Talk Games a very, very memorable show for me. I couldn't have done it without Kyle Von Kubik. Thanks, Kyle. You've been a great, great hand in the second volume of We Talk Games. Glad to have you on board. Johnny Capcon, Eric Alex, great to hear from you. Really nice review. Great games. Ralph Kirby, thank you, guys. T.T. Schmookins. I had a wonderful time. Don't forget to crush me with your mamalot. Or stinky, crappy to stinky game master. I'm glad you weren't in too much of the show today, but thank you for your the little nuggets that you've left behind. Special thanks to Tommy Tallarico, of course, and Walter Day. I'm out of here. I, good gaming to everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of We Talk Games. We couldn't do it without you. Until next month, great gaming. Oh, 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 oh,